everyone, welcome back. This is Collapse Talk, episode 17. Thanks for tuning in. This is your host, Gabriel, and I hope you've been staying safe and just dealing or, you know, just hustling, you know, doing what you can. But uh, yeah, welcome back. We'll just uh, talk about a lot of stuff that has happened. Uh, it's been pretty eventful since the last episode. You know, I've had to gather some things in my personal life and just get th- some things in order. I just want to get some, or at least record something before my classes really start uh, coming back into effect, which should be fun. So we'll see how long this semester lasts. But yeah, this is Collapse Talk. And well, you know, at least, you know, just talk about my personal life. You know, I've had like a pretty uh, nice development. I had, uh, or I found a little kitty cat. So she was just like walking around my little apartment complex and I just uh, picked her up and I got a little kitty cat, so you might hear some, like, scuffling in the other room. Uh, but she's pretty wild, so I've had her for, like, a week or so, and she is my world right now, <laughs> to say the, you know, say the least. But, you know, it's just nice to at least, you know, have some company and uh, give back. In a way, this is my way of giving back, is, you know, nurturing this little cat. So, we'll see. So, other than that, that's just my personal life, and... I mean, you know, class is going to start up soon, so I'm going to try to be more rigid or, you know, structured with my recordings and releases. I was trying to, like, take it easy for this summer. And so moving forward, I'm going to have to be more balanced with this, this project that I'm doing, this show, and then also just schoolwork and work. So it's a lot to juggle. But, you know, it's nice to at least have something to be preoccupied with. Because I've noticed that I'm having a lot of downtime, which I like downtime. I really do. Like, you know, I do consider myself a hard worker, but at the same time, I just like to veg out. But, you know, it's still, it's nice to at least be productive. But with that being said, we'll move on to like the, the main meat of the show and we'll talk about our main subjects. So, you know, in this, in this show, we, or I, uh, we, I divvy up the different segments into international, domestic, and in the natural segments, so, or just the natural world, and so, first I want to discuss the international, and a lot's been brewing right now, so we're about to experience a flashpoint right now, I, I mean, it seems like this is, you know, of course I've been talking about the calm before the storm, but this seems like, okay, like next week something could happen, or, or who knows, like, it, it really just, it, it, it's always evolving and that's the thing about talking about these current events it's so hard to you know it's so hard to examine it as it's happening because you don't know what's going to happen in the future so it's always hindsight so you just have to wait for it to you have to wait for the dust to settle even no matter how chaotic it is you just have to wait and you know weather it so you know of course nobody predicted uh certain events occurring you know, some of them just happened out of the blue, uh, such as the Beirut explosion that occurred. And that's, of course, been like a, a huge, like, thing that happened. I mean, it, of course, it's always another thing that occurs. And we've had plenty of explosions, like, you know, industrial explosions. So this seems like uh, an, an accident of sorts. Uh, of course, they're still investigating it. So we're going to have to see how long that's going to take and what information we get from there i just read that the fbi was actually sending a team out there so they're going to investigate that 
But what, what what do we know right now from it? Because they're still like having to like pick up the rubble. They're still finding bodies. Like right now, the toll is about like 171 deaths right now, fatalities, and that's certainly going to rise. And it's also uh, casual, or I should say casualties, injuries greater than 6,000, and estimated 15 billion dollars of damage. So this was. Pretty, pretty huge. It's pretty, uh, I mean, like, this was, because uh, we, we talk about the idea of nuclear war. This is, like, the closest we're going to get to seeing, like, a hypothetical situation of, like, a, a briefcase explosion, like, a nuclear explosion. Like, it's, that. I mean, that's really what it would look like in that scenario. Of course, in this instance, it was an ammonium nitrate storage. Uh, they just, like... So, so from what they're reporting is that there was a ship that was harvest that that was storing all this ammonium nitrate, and uh, it was just sitting there. And of course, port officials there are inspecting and are in the area. They uh, they said like this is a a hazard because this is ammonium nitrate, so this is this is explosive material. I mean, from what they're saying, they're they're showing like. Uh, 2,700 tons of ammonium nitrate. Just tons, tons of, of ammonium. And fertilizer is what it is. It's like a thing that they use for fertilizer. So when it exploded, it was equivalent to 1.2 kilotons of TNT. And for reference, that's like 10% of the Hiroshima bomb. So, and you know, the weapons that we have now are hundreds of times stronger than the Hiroshima bomb. So you can just, like, yeah. So, seeing this occur, and of course in the age of social media, now we can, like, there's just there's a camera on every corner, so you can, like, look at all these different angles and the distance, how close people are to it, and you're just thinking to yourself, like, there's a certain point where, like, the person recording either died or experienced, like, massive injuries. Most, like they're like it's just it's 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 well I wouldn't, it's it is incredible like just the footage and just like the raw power of it I, I don't mean to say that as like well this is cool it's not cool at all this, this is just a devastation of I mean a city that was already struggling a country that was already struggling and here's the thing so because I don't want to go to the the conspiracy route saying that this might be an attack. Which, like, we can't rule that out, because it very easily could have. I mean, it was just sitting there. All this ammonium was just sitting there. So, like, it, it would have been a very easy target for a terrorist or some, some agent. But, I, I mean, I, I can easily see just incompetence being another factor. It very easily could, because, you know, here in Texas, we've had... Actually, historically, we had uh, an, an explosion at Texas City with a ship in a similar situation or some warehouse that exploded and just killed like hundreds of people. Like it was the, the Texas city disaster. So, and yeah, it was worse than this Beirut situation. So like if the Texas city explosion happened in Beirut, we would have seen thousands, like the, the city would have been a wasteland. So it's very interesting how, I don't know how exactly like, the damage how it's different here i think because the the texas city was more like a fire burning fireball really rather than a 
you know, right here, which was a shockwave. But still, you know, significant damage regardless. But yeah, so they're already struggling, right? As we discussed. And they had this explosion in their main port. So there's significant damage, so they can't really accept any shipments. And also, conveniently, uh, one of their like major silos, grain silos, was sitting right next to the ship. So when the ship exploded, it destroyed the silo, which destroyed their main stores of grain. So in that sense, maybe it could be an attack. Maybe, because that's very strategic. Of course, it still could be an accident. You know, we, we really don't know, but it's just like, wow. Um... I, this is like, it's just, it's incredible, really. It's incredible just seeing the devastation and like you looking at some of the uh, the, the images, like the, there's a crater at the, at the blast explosion. So it created like this like 100 foot wide crater. It's just, wow. It's just, this is going to be like, it's going to be examined. This is like, you know, as more information is coming out about this and showing the corruption and incompetence of the government, this could very well be Lebanon's 9-11 moment if it's discovered that there was some sort of like attack element to it. Like there was a a deliberate instance. So we're going to have to see. But to see the response from the Lebanese people and to see that they're now taking it to the streets, these are they're already struggling, they're already starving, uh, their you know economy is already collapsing, so this explosion is just gonna. I mean, it's just a flashpoint. I mean, everything is gonna change after this, and you know, of course, nobody there wants a fight because the horrors of the civil war is still very fresh for them, uh, and like they, I guess, like I don't know, because like seeing some, because like you, when I see these young people, they're my age now. I mean, this is you know, this is we're we're in the same struggle. You know, I imagine myself in their situation, having to like live in a country that's preparing itself after a bloody civil war, and then it appears that we're diving right back into it. Like, you know, just examining the history of Beirut and also the civil war, and it's just like, wow, like. Like, if that happens again, who, like, that's going to be an international crisis, as it was before. So, we'll, we'll have to see, really. But, that's, that's Lebanon. They're going through quite a bit. And, and I hope to see that things can pull through. Of course, you know, this is collapse talk, so, you know, it's more gloomy. The, the forecast that I, that I, personally, I feel... Uh, but I just want things to hopefully sort themselves out. But this is going to be up there as one of like the major moments of 2020 and like a global historical sense. So this explosion. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredible, really incredible. So moving onward, we also had another more political instance. So the protests here are for Belarus and... Essentially, in Belarus, there had they had an election that was between the base dictator. He's a president, but the dictator Lukashenko, who is considered like the last true dictator of Europe, 
who's been in charge for the last 26 years after this, the fall of the Soviet Union. And so, of course, being a dictator in an Eastern European country, it's a lot of corruption, a lot of election fraud. And, I mean, this is nothing new for them. They've had, like, um, in the past, like, 90% approval, voter approval, you know, repeatedly. So it's just like they're clearly skewing the numbers. And in this instance, uh, the same thing happened again. So Lukashenko was up against an opposition leader, Svetlana Tinkhanovskaya. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that. But so Svetlana, she she is a she's the wife of another activist who was against Lukashenko, but then he had to flee the country, or you know something like that. And so she took his place, and then she was up for election. Uh, lots of optimism, or at least you know people were like it, they they are experiencing COVID problems and economic problems. So people are really like on edge there, and they 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 were like absolutely certain because nobody wants him. Like there's a certain point in a country where like everybody's on the same page. Like this guy has to go. You know, I don't know if we're at that stage in this country, but like if you're not like actively like benefiting from the inst- the the junta, the, the institution that's in charge, like then you're just going to be against it because you're not gaining anything. You know, those people thinking like that selfishly, but then also the, the solidarity with the people, which, yeah. So that's what we're saying now. So election occurred and Lukashenko claimed victory you know with um, like impossible margin but like you know what are you going to do there's always going to be a fraud there now protests are occurring solidarity chains and uh, people chanting and singing and it appears to be more peaceful right now right now who knows because this has a lot of echoes to the uh ukrainian uh, uh, revolution so yeah and minks They've had protests and people are gathering in the squares. And so there was an instance of, you know, so it is nice to see, there was an instance where right police were lowering their shields and like, uh, you know, hugging their the protesters. So there is a sense of humanity in that sense. And, you know, maybe like slowly some of the, you know, some of the, these ground troops, maybe some officers, they're going to side with the people. So that that's usually a sign of a, a, a true revolution when it happens, but of course right now there's a lot of violence towards protesters, police brutality, and you know we we like to complain about police brutality, but over here it's like it's encouraged, you know, like like because you you'll see on the right like they don't want police brutality, so when they see it happening, they'll try to like cover it up because it's not it it it's brutality against. Not necessarily their enemies, but like their opposers. So they're just like, okay, well, I guess if you want to stomp somebody, stomp the people who are against me. But over overall, like most conservatives, they don't support like just rogue police. Like they don't support that really. Like or at least the the principled ones, at least. So here in Belarus, right? Like it's like not even like hidden. Like it's pretty much like no, this is what we're about. <laughs> it's like. No, we will kick your teeth in, and there's nothing you can do about it. And in fact, I'm probably going to get a promotion for it. <laughs> so that's the that's the type of policing and uh, well, military. It's 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 just another arm of the military. So 
Yeah. As it stands right now, because it's only been in like the last week, there's just been protesting and uh, who knows. It, it, it hasn't escalated, at least not yet. So Lukashenko could easily stay in control. Uh, but, you know, Svetlana, she's also, you know, she's trying to stay in the fight also. And in fact, she, she fled to Lithuania with her family. And I think also a lot of these Baltic nations, they are accepting uh, Belarusians to leave. But I don't believe they've had a bloody civil war in the past, although they've had a bloody history. But this could very easily escalate into something. So we'll have to see. Very, very much a crackdown on the people. But yeah, so this is interesting to see. And of course, when I look at an international crisis in another place, a domestic crisis, I should say, I try to take that and look at what it means for our country necessarily, you know, just to see what will happen and, you know, just to see this crisis and uncertainty occur is, it, it's just no surprise right now. Like no matter who wins, it's like, there's going to be something, something's going to happen. In fact, if Trump wins, the left and Antifa are going to lose their mind. If Biden wins... Trump is going to make some calls about election fraud, whatever. So who who knows what that would mean. But also if Trump wins, the Democrats are also going to call election fraud. And who knows what that's going to mean. Because, look, I know I on the show I talk a lot of shit about Democrats. But, well, I do, yeah, of course I talk about Democrats a lot. It, it appears, though, that I'm more biased towards Republicans. In some sense, I was. Or not in some sense. I was just plain factually, but now I am worried about the Democrats and like because any any group that's power hungry to me is bad and evil. So like the Democrats now are really showing their evil corporate mugs and like I don't want them to seize power like entirely. Like who knows what they could do. Um, I mean, there needs to be a check on that. And I didn't mean to, like, just diverge into the domestic scene so much because I want to keep this international. But, you know, when I'm seeing this happening in a country like this, in Belarusia, that's like a true dictatorship and a true authoritarian regime. So, like, when I see something like this, I mean, like, these people are actually fighting for something. You know, it's like this is actually something noble in it. So when I see... What we have here in the U.S., which, of course, I mean, people protesting and, you know, trying to change for the better. It's, you know, it's noble in that sense. And, of course, it's a good thing. But then you see, like, the reality of our situation, like, because our lives are far better than folks in Belarusia. You know, what I keep saying Belarusia, just Belarus. Um, but it's just just to see, like, you know. Well, of course, we're trying to be like, we have good intentions in our fight. But I'm slowly starting to see how, like, of course, you know, the phrase, as the phrase goes, uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So, who knows? I really, it will be interesting to see what occurs in Belarus, right? And also to see the Russian response to it. Because if something happens in Belarus... And there is a shift towards, you know, if a new government or new, you know, regime, whatever you want to call it, takes control, 
they're going to be more anti-Russia and they're going to shift more towards the West and NATO and Europe. And just like they had with Ukraine, where they, you know, invaded Crimea and they instigated a, you know, civil war, sending mercenaries and equipment to, you know, Russian sympathizers in Ukraine. And so they're going to do something far more drastic in Belarus. And they could certainly send... Well, I mean, Lukashenko is definitely going to, like, ask for aid. So they're going to send troops in regardless. Except, you know, they're going to have the permission of the president. So, of course, on the international stage, they're going to be like, this is what... We're not violating their sovereignty. In fact, we're preserving it. So... Yeah, this is going to be another, okay, this is in the event of a civil war, some some massive violence in Belarus, which, again, I'm just making the call right now based on what happened in Ukraine, but we don't know what what could happen here. I don't know what could happen. So we have that to look forward to. But it's interesting to see, like, whenever something happens in Europe, people really do pay attention to it. Because I mean, most of Europe right now is, well, of course, if, apart from their own civil domestic issues, at least, like, there's no major, like, military conflict between the countries. At least not yet. Because, I mean, historically, they've been pretty nasty at war with each other. So, you know, we like to think now that they're more progressive and peaceful. But, like, let's not forget, like, they could, there's still a lot of bad blood between between countries that supposedly have put aside their differences like there's a lot of bad blood so it's not going to take that much for them to go right back to that it really won't so i mean look at here you know we thought we buried the hatchet so to speak like not you know not to say it in that sense but like there there's still a lot of bad blood here in this country where you know some things are you know, resurfacing and then people are facing it's definitely has to do with just the economic uncertainty because people are facing that pressure and then they just have an outlet to take it out on others and it just builds from there so there's that there is that so that's belarus and we'll just have to look at that as it unfolds but yeah but we'll keep talking another uh, election yeah, protests, uncertainty that's occurring, happening in Bolivia. So, I had spoken about Bolivia as their election coup occurred. And so, there was a call for election fraud with the president, Evo Morales. Which, it came out from like this obscure like report. I don't know, like it was like something that like, for the most part, wouldn't would have been ignored, but a lot of these uh, media outlets just ran with it, and it wasn't even saying that like there was definite. It was just supposed, and there was actually more evidence in the, in the showing that Evo Morales was legitimate because the country is predominantly rural, and most of these rural farmers and people support supported this president. So. So it was fraud against him, but 
yeah, it actually says here, the Organization of American States alleged fraud in the election, uh, but increasing evidence shows that their analysis was flawed and that the actions against Morales con constituted a coup. So this Organization of American States report came out, the media ran with it, which the U.S. and the CIA and all these other government agencies started siding with the more right-wing uh, fundamentalist section of the country, which is like the, the leftovers of Spanish colonialism. And as we also found out, it had very much to do with the lithium reserves in the country. So, you know, you see how like how interconnected business and war politics is. And so in the media, it's just like it's it was like, wow, this is how it really went down. Like, you know, I was watching like a Banana Republic coup unfold in real time and like everybody just like <laughs> everybody was like oh all right it's done but now they're they're um they're having some general protest and election or uh general you know just a strike that's what they're calling for so i'm reading this from latinousa.org uh thousands of bolivians marched in el alto yesterday uh or this was a uh, this was written on J july 29th uh, thousands of Bolivians marched in El, El Alto on the first day of a general strike to protest the decision to delay the presidential election due, again due to coronavirus pandemic. The Bolivian Workers Center Union, which organized the strike, is demanding that the Supreme Electoral Tribunal reverse an earlier decision to postpone the election originally scheduled for September 6th to October 18th. Juan Carlos Hura, Hurachi the head of the union said the strike is indefinite. If we join together as miners, campesinos, the middle class, and El Alto, we can be di dynamite, Hirachi said. So, yeah, this is a, a coalition of workers, coalition of peasants, uh, middle class people. This is, I mean, this was, it was a socialist movement. I mean, Evo Morales was socialist, left-leaning. And so the, his supporters are, you know, not surprisingly, you know, going to be poor workers, socialist workers. And so it's interesting now the claims that are being said here. I'm pretty sure, you know, they're having their own struggles with coronavirus. Everybody is. Uh, this is more of a developing nation. So there are probably some setbacks medical wise, uh, However, you know, there's a very real like statistic on like medicine availability under the Evo Morales, the president, you know, just how, how much things improved, like the infrastructure and medical availability, availability, you know, just most things. So of course, a lot of these like campesinos are going to be like, yeah, this, uh, that's our guy. So it just makes, you know, the, the, the claims of, of election fraud had no standing, but because the media just ran with it, it became reality, and so you see what happened. So, yeah, this is uh, interesting just to see what's happening there. But, of course, in Bolivia, they've just had a history, I wouldn't say necessarily peasant uprisings, but just peasant, you know, because, you know, this is like the leftovers, as I said, of Spanish colonialism, and they had the whole system of working the natives as slaves, you know, chattel slavery for 
hundreds of years, and that has left a mark because that those class systems are very much still real. In fact, a lot of the racism and bigotry towards the natives and their way of life is still alive. Uh, I believe the the current president, after her name escapes me, but she's like a right wing uh, fundamentalist Christian. Like she, when she was inaugurated, like she was standing inside like the state capitol building, holding up the Bible and just being like, the Bible has returned, the, the sacred text has returned to the state building or the government. It, it was just like, oh, this theocratic, you know, saber rattling, like, but that's, you know, that's their game. A lot of these right wing uh, people, you know, she was calling a lot of these uh, natives devil worshippers because they're pagan beliefs and yeah it's just what are you gonna do you know this is just this is just what happens right uh but yeah so now we're seeing election strikes protests people are just out in the streets and of course this is like just a larger trend of like uh, south american indigenous groups protesting and uh active you know activating themselves uh, I believe also in Chile, they're having, uh, the Mapuche people are also having protests and organizing groups and such, uh, you know, just government policies that affect their group and their communities. And it's very interesting, just like the history of the indigenous people in South America, uh, because we could definitely like include them in the larger story of Native Americans and the struggle against colonialism. So... Yeah, that's just like another, like, I like history, so like, those are like areas that I want to like research on there, uh, but that's, you know, not to, you know, try derail the, the conversation, but interesting history, very long history, and this is just another uh, moment in that history of indigenous activism. So, well, you know, we can talk about that. So, in South America... Of course, not only are they experiencing, you know, political, economic movements and such. I mean, they have the, the coronavirus epidemic that's occurring there, pandemic. And in Brazil is projecting to be like the hardest hit in the entire continent. And Brazil, of course, is just falling apart. I don't know. It's just, it seems like a bad spot. I, it's so funny how like 10 years ago, Brazil was considered like like the go-to spot like all these movies were being set in Brazil like a lot of these ads and investments were going to Rio and now it appears to be like it's just collapsing right in front of us I'm pretty sure it most certainly has to do with um the Olympics it, it certainly had to do with that because every country that has an Olympics that like isn't like an economic center. Every country that does that experiences some kind of downturn afterwards. So it, it so there was definitely like that surge. I wonder when it started. I mean, we could definitely like track it with movies if we want to. If we could just like, I don't know if it started with Rio or that Fast and Furious movie. Uh, but then, you know, we see a lot of, like, films and, like, sets in Brazil. And then the Olympics went down. 
which were cool Olympics. I mean, not to you know, I like watching the Olympics, but then once with that once that was over, that was the climax, and then everything dipped after that. I mean, just to see like the the police going into the favela areas, occupying it so tourists could be safe, and then when all the tourists left, they just leave the areas and the gangs take over again. So, like it's like. So, you know, it was already a bad situation then, and it's starting to get worse, especially with this COVID outbreak. And, like, just an, uh, uh, just a funny twist of fate, the, the president. So I had spoken before that Bolsonaro may have been COVID positive, but now he was confirmed to be COVID positive. And so uh, this is just another development. I mean, it's just... He he was already like a messed up president to begin with, so like, in a way, like this this is just karma, because he was talking about well, you know, us Brazilians we've been exposed to all sorts of conditions, so who knows we could, you know, COVID's nothing like, <laughs> this dude, you know, yeah, as I was saying, like if if Trump was president of Brazil and Bolsonaro was president of the United States, I would move to Brazil. Like, that's how bad of a president he is. And I still I still stand by that. Like, I prefer Trump over this guy. And that's saying a lot. So, he got COVID positive, And, of course, he's going to receive, like, the best care possible. And then, as we're seeing in the streets of Brazil, like, there are people just dying in the streets. Like, just coughing and wheezing and, you know. And I already spoke about, like, the indigenous populations there and... Uh, they're being, you know, wiped out essentially by this disease, and that's being used as a pretext to invade those lands and to seize the resources. So there's there's far greater consequences than just people getting sick. I mean, this is like, you know, collapse of people's cultures and societies, and you know, the people are. I mean, leaders are detached from it. They're just living in their little bubble and they're just worried about their own gains. Really, that's that's what it's turning into right now. So, and yet somehow they still get away with it. And like, Bolsonaro has like a pretty good following. He has a very huge following because of the strongman persona, the machismo. So, it's interesting to see how that's going to uh, translate for the country, really. But we'll have to see there what happens in Brazil. But Brazil is like the U.S. of South America. That's probably not the best thing to say. But I'm just saying like in terms of like size and the influence in the region. Like it's just the biggest country in the in the entire continent really. So they're going to have a... What happens in Brazil is going to have a huge effect on the whole continent really. Uh, but yeah, so that's happening there. And... You know, best of luck to those folks. Because COVID is going to hit everybody. Uh, but we're just going to have to see what happens there. So, speaking of COVID, also uh, more towards the north on our end. But also just concerning the, the Canadian-American border. Uh, it's it's so funny to see the response that we're having. And the response our neighbors are having towards this disease. And it really just shows, like, the effect that a border has. Like, 
it's it's really mental because like a border doesn't exist like it's not a real thing it's just exist it just exists because both sides have agreed that this is the okay this is the line so this is your end this is my end and of course i mean there are disagreements with that all the time and then whoever's the strongest is you know gets to decide it but the fact that like you know it's not set in stone you know it's like it's up to interpretation and if the interpretation isn't set on whoever's the strongest is the interpreter just really shows how flimsy borders really are unless like there's a, a wall which uh i'm wouldn't i'm not the biggest fan of but you know you do you really so in canada they're you know taking this far more seriously they're, i mean i'm sure that they're having like their own mask debates which all right i mean there's no doubt really that the whole mask controversy started here it really started here because everybody else was just on the same page and they were just like whoa my freedom blah, blah. so <laughs> it, yeah so canada they're just being they're just responsible i said it before this is just for personal responsibility so they you know it's not even that they listen to the government they just they just know, know what to do and so it, it's funny watching like these border areas like the niagara region so like your boats just like on the river going right next to each other and the canadian boats are like you know there's less capacity and the people are all masked masked up and you know keeping distance socially distant and then an american boat i mean this is like this is curb your enthusiasm like level of satire really like so a boat two boats are passing each other from two different countries basically the same people you know but one boat has all the safety precautions in place and then the american boat passes by nobody gives a fuck everybody's sitting next to each other hardly any mask i mean it's people wearing masks still of course but there, some people just like ripped it off and you know of course like it's an outdoor area but like you know, seeing how packed what the American boat was, it would have just been far easier for everybody to wear a mask. But hey, you know, that's too much to ask, right? So it's just funny. It's just it, it's funny. That's all. That's all I have to say. Because like, it's the level of ridiculousness that we're seeing right now. It's just like, how is this real? Like, like, if you know. Because this, the main thesis is that we're all dead on this show. Uh, but if somehow, and hopefully I'm incorrect, you know, 50 years time, like that's, I mean, 2070, so 50 years. Oh God, we'll see. But if I'm still kicking and I can look back at this and if I have children, I'm just going to be like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I, <laughs> it's just, oh my God. Yeah, so, but I mean, it's just America. What are you going to do? Like, every, every, like, little fact that you learn about this country and, like, you know, there must have been a cutoff when, like, when we were, like, because we were obviously a positive influence. And in some regard, we still are. But the negative influence has grown immensely. Like, I, we can't deny that either. Like, the negative influence of the United States has grown immensely. <laughs> and it's been pretty large to begin with. So, like, 
I don't know. What are you going to do? But, yeah, Canada is having to deal with, you know, having to deal with people crossing the, the, the border. So they're having, like, border crossings of American boaters. And, you know, just people just coming into the country. And it's just like, they. I mean, they mandate, like, a 14-hour, like, or 14-day 14, 14 uh, quarantine. Which, like, makes sense. So, like, the only reason really you should be traveling to Canada is on business, not for pleasure. Because you're going to travel to a country that's going to force you to sit, stay in your hotel room for 14 days. Like, come on, dude. But, yeah. So, it kind of makes sense. And certainly it would have been, you know, more countries would have allowed us to travel in there if we had done a better job. But we didn't. So, now nobody's going to let us in. So... Yeah, it's just because it, I know when the election went down in 2016, like people were seriously looking for ways to uh, to get a Canadian citizenship. I was looking for it, uh, looking for a way. And I was just like, it's going to be a pain in the ass. And I don't know how I'm going to deal with that because I'm just an I'm only person. You know, I'm like, I can hardly like deal with living by myself in this a city three hours away from my parents how am i going to deal with you know being alone in a country where nobody knows me i have no family and i don't know anybody uh but i mean i still want that on the table at least especially now and you know now with these travel restrictions because i didn't i did not assume that a pandemic would be the thing that would be the collapse but i mean Slowly but steadily, people aren't going to let Americans in, and the refugee, like, it's not going to be enough. Like, asylum is not going to be enough. So, as I said before, we're going to be trapped here. It's going to be fucked up, bro. It's going to be fucked up. But, you know, we're not there yet. I mean, November's really going to be, like, a make-or-break moment. <sighs> I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that later on, but... There, there's that. So, Canada dealing with us Americans. Ah, whatever. But I'll just move on from there. So, I I spoke about uh, a development that occurred with like Russian bounties, and uh, you know, a story came out from the New York Times that like. Uh, there's data released about uh, transfers from uh, the Taliban from Russian military intelligence. So I kind of ran with that because it seemed to be credible. I mean, at least, you know, to me at least. And also people just running with the story. Now, of course... It's slowly starting to reveal that it's not as plausible as before. And I wanted to circle back on that because, you know, I certainly want to be accurate with the information that I uh, talk about on this show. And I certainly want to be principled in what I say. So, you know, if I if I was assertive on an issue on an earlier show and then it's released later or realized later that I was wrong, then I hopefully want to circle back on it and talk about it because that's my responsibility to, to at least address it 
And it's also my responsibility to research it and verify it before I talk about it. Then again, I'm not exactly in the stage where I can dedicate that time. Like I just, I don't have the time to research as much as I would like. So, you know, there, you know, there are certain things that I should at least talk about and fall back on, but it seemed, it seemed like plausible. And that's the thing. Like when I talk about something, I really try to like say like, is this plausible? Like I'm very cynical. So I'm just like, is this like, this could, it could be true. I mean, like, why wouldn't it? But I mean, it's released now that it's not as credible as before. And also like, it's a war. So, you know, the Taliban probably just has bounties in general on, you know, soldiers. I mean, like, who, how else are you going to incentivize, you know, your soldiers to take pot shots? So, yeah. So I want to talk about that at least. But, you know, also just talking about, you know, we have the Russian bounty situation that's occurring. But then we also have Obamagate that's going down, which I'm still like... I haven't, I don't know the full stories just yet, but from what I'm hearing or the allegations that I'm hearing about, you know, the Obama administration spying on the Trump campaign, it's, I have to ask myself, like, what, like, you know, because of course, Obama is a president that I, for the most part, like. Now, at this stage of my life, I realized that there was a lot wrong with him. But, you know, certainly growing up, it was inspiring to see a black president, a black man as president. I mean, that's just a matter of fact, really. Uh, and then you realize the politics and the reality. So, you know, I have to, I have to ask myself, like, okay, so I have to divorce myself from my favoritism of Obama and examine it objectively and say, you know, a an administration spying on an election campaign, it's wrong. It's wrong. So unless, you know, something credible was there, right? So you know, they 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 had some information or some allegation that Trump may have been working with the Russian government or something. I mean that they were working together. And so, as a president, how can you not at least try to look into it? So maybe that was it. Maybe he was like, well, let's look in. Maybe like creak the door a bit. But even then, just like, just creaking the door a bit, looking through, peeking, that's, that's enough. That's all they really need. Uh, so, I don't know, because there's a lot of people talking about indicting Obama and doing all this and that, you know, almost like revenge. Because there are a lot of people that like want to get Obama on like anything so like now that they have something that's credible like they're gonna be like foaming at the mouth so like what what i don't know i, don't, I really don't know again you know there are far better people who talk about this issue than i do it, it's really at your discretion because i mean this could be in the same vein as QAnon. not that i believe in that but like it you know it, it could very easily be, boil down to that because you know those QAnon people they certainly uh have Obama in there in Biden all the Democrats really so yeah this is just something that has to un keep unfold but I have to like 
really like look at it for what it is and just say like you know what what could this lead to you know because they've been trying to indict Trump and they keep talking about arresting Trump when he's out of office so could they you know do something to Obama they very easily could if like something came up about this they would definitely push it and that would just further exacerbate political tensions because even though Obama isn't the president, but it's just like he still like has a, mon- a huge amount of influence and power in this country, like huge. And people will rise up to defend him, like a lot. Like I don't like I don't think people realize like in the same way that like when Martin Luther King was assassinated, the whole country experienced like an uprising from black people. Well, not all black people, but just like there was. People were, like, a race war kind of, like, just broke out for, like, 20 seconds. And, you know, the whole country, like, burned itself for a weekend almost. Or, yeah. So, in the same sense of that happening, you know, a peaceful leader, something happening to him, and mass violence broke out, it, it could happen here. It really could. And it wouldn't just be a racial thing. Like, it would be, like, a left. It would be a political thing. That's that's what's That's what makes this worse. But again, you know, I'm just like, I'm being hyperbolic and just taking it to like the most extreme, you know, worst logical conclusion somebody can think. But things have been just getting worse. So what what else can you say? What else can you say? So I wanted to follow up on that. And, you know, with just the Russian bounty situation, but then also, you know, chime in about this Obamagate scandal that's being you know, talked about, but it's not like, it's being treated by the mainstream as like fringe conspiracy when there's some legitimate, you know, uh, you know, when, when there's meat to a story, I can't deny it. Even if it's like against somebody that I like, like when this is like, when it's real and there's tangible evidence, then it's like, okay, now you got me. Cause if I'm just going to pretend that this isn't real, then you just look like a fool. So doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, doesn't mean I'm not going to still, like, gravitate towards my bias. But, like, it's just, like, you know, it's hard. It's hard to, like, be principled all the time because you have to you have to examine yourself and you have to, you know, say, okay, here's where I was wrong and here's what I need to fix, right? So I want to talk about that. And before I wrap up this segment, the international segment... We, or I should, you know, uh, I wanted to expand upon a anniversary that occurred recently. And so I was talking about the Beirut explosion and the size and power of the destruction and how it was 10% the strength of the Hiroshima little boy explosion at the end of World War II. And... Just as it happened, or, you know, not the same day, but, like, very recently, October 9th is the actual date, uh, Is the it was the 75th anniversary of the Hiroshima bombing, so the first nuclear bomb used in wartime. And so, it, still to this day, the Hiroshima explosion is a very controversial subject, the Hiroshima, the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings, right? And so... 
it's still very controversial and people still are they're you know very critical of the u.s and they put this as among one of the worst war crimes that the u.s committed okay i mean nuclear bombs are terrible and they are terrible weapons the science of a wet nuclear bomb is cool like i like that like the you know just imagining like all these atoms and the chain reaction you know so the science of it is cool you know, I'm watching like footage of it, the testing. I, I like that. It's it's cool. It's just it's just like whoa. This is so. It's creepy, of course. It's creepy, but it has that like, you know, otherworldly aspect to it. It's like you know, these are weapons that of gods, and that essentially what uh, most people, you know, when we talk about the human brain, like the fact that we were able to unlock this new ability, just shows our capacity for destruction but also innovation so the hero hiroshima explosion and how that unfolded very controversial and it's uh you know has still has left a scar in japan in mean, japan and i mean that's among one of the few countries that i want to travel to if they're willing to accept americans because i mean japan is gonna be like it's always like straight and you know, doing well for itself. So, you know, you you look at Japan today and what the country is, and then you look at it 80 years ago, you know, during World War II, vastly different. Totally different societies. I mean, like, you have to think about it, though. Like, the Japanese were so hardcore that they had to drop nukes on them. Or at least they felt that they had to. Because the fighting on those islands leading up to it, it was like these small pockets of islands with like hundreds, maybe even a couple thousand troops. They had to send like tens of thousands of marines to capture these islands because the, the, the soldiers would fight to the last man. And it was a bloodbath. I mean, you look at the two two fronts, not to give a history lesson, but the two fronts, European front. In the, in the Pacific front, in the European front, had all these different nations involved with it. You know, millions of men, you know, with all these tanks and just moving across fields. And so entire cities burning, all that. So that's its own front. But then you look at the Pacific, and that was mainly the United States with some help with the, the English, Australians, and some other allies. And, but they, I mean, they did most of the fighting and just... You know, just seeing, I mean, they, they had a pretty good taste of what the Japanese were capable of on these small pockets of islands. So just imagining millions of them on this island, or islands is what Japan is, they they just felt that they had to do it. And of course, there's talk of, you know, they were looking to surrender, which they were. There was people obviously trying to f push for surrender, but like, they had to drop the nukes in order to get that final, okay, fine. Because it, it was just, you know, these these people, who, or not to say these people, because I, I don't want to sound like I'm an official on any historical subject, but it's just that they, those that harp on this, on the, the atrocity of the Hiroshima explosion, for the most part, not everybody, but most of them, especially the woke crowd, they don't know the history and the brutality 
of that war and what what the military was capable of and what they did. So, you know, they talk about war crimes such as Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They don't they don't really know much about Nanjing or like uh you know, just the the, the Bataan Death March. I mean like you know, and if they do, I would very much like to have like a conversation with them because that shows that they have some historical uh, mindset and that they actually understand what the Japanese military was about in this time period, in the war in general. But yeah, so I mean, it was just, you know, I don't want to like harp too much on that, but like, uh, it's not to say that I defend the use of nuclear weapons, but in this instance, when you, you, you make an assertion without, you know, when it's pretty clear that you haven't really, you, you don't, you haven't fully grasped the gravity of that time period and what, what was at stake. Cause like, when the emperor announced surrender, this is a little known fact really, when the, the emperor announced a surrender, or at least he was pushing for it, they almost launched a coup. Or they did. I mean, they, they were like, there was elements of the Japanese military that wanted scorched earth, apocalypse now, in their in their homeland so they were it, it was do or die like this was serious so you know in that instance like what would you do you know you you weren't you weren't harry truman you know he he openly stated that was the worst moment of his life when he ordered that strike so like nobody in that situation wanted to do it but they couldn't risk you know sending an invasion fleet so that's my little tangent on that you know, my little two pieces on that, you know, I still, I'm still, of course, like, I don't like the idea of using those weapons at all on any civilian population or any human beings. Um, even the testing itself, I mean, like, it, it made the, the fallout would just like go with the wind and settle in like Bikini Atoll, uh, that would, it would get the local natives sick. And, um, you know, when they tested it in Nevada, in the desert, it was close enough to uh, Las Vegas that you could like look and see the mushroom clouds. Like imagine that you're you're just you're in the you know fledging you know building growing city of Las Vegas, and up in the horizon you just see mushroom clouds just like, and that happened. That was a thing, and then people were getting sick from it. Uh, John Wayne he got sick from it. Little, little known fact about John Wayne he he got sick uh, filming. Uh, a Genghis Khan biopic where he played Genghis Khan. So just imagine, you know, <laughs> yeah, just, I mean, it's a different time period. So, I mean, of course, now imagining a white man playing a Central Asian step warrior, like, it's not going to go well, but back then they didn't really care. But, I mean, that's just a thing that I was talking about. But, I mean, yeah, I just wanted to comment on the anniversary and the controversy and you know, of course, some people, when they hear my take on it, they're going to misinterpret it and think that I'm pro-war, which I'm not. I'm just realistic about it because, you know, it, human beings are going to fight. Like, it's just the sad reality. Like, I would very much like there to be peace, but peace is only possible if resources are abundant and, like, they they never they never disappear. I mean, that's what makes... Star Trek, you know, Star Trek, 
because it's a post-scarcity world. They have all those replicators. So nobody really has to fight for anything because they can just make it. So until then, until we have those replicators, and, and, and even then, not, not even with the replicators, they're still fighting each other. So it's just like, people find any reason. It's just, uh. But, you know, it, when you talk about the appropriate use of weapons, you know, it just, it, it really is a case-by-case -case situation. Because we can talk about the, the nuclear explosions that went down, but none of them talk about the firebombings, where, like, entire cities were just burnt overnight. So, like, and that killed more people. But, you know, I'll stop talking about it. Yeah, I, the, yeah. I like talking about history in World War II. Um, if anything, I would suggest listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History, Supernova in the East, to learn more about what I'm talking about specifically, especially the China, the Japanese aspect, uh, the the militarism and the the change in the government. So yeah, that's a podcast recommendation, Hardcore History. So. That's the end of our international segment. So now we're going to delve into the domestic sphere, which is uh, looking more dire by the minute. At least on my end. Uh, everybody else is business as usual, but it just feels like it feels like we're going through the motions, really. So we're now in August. And so the protections the unemployment protections the eviction protections uh they have been lifted so everybody's on their own right now and the cherry on top with all of this is that congress had been dragging their feet on some kind of agreement some kind of deal and so now congress is in recess they're going to meet again in september so they're not going to come to an agreement this month and again, they just keep proving how useless they are and how corrupt they are, both sides, how both sides don't care about the American people, and they're only in it for their group. That's all they're in it for. You know, of course, Trump is talking about, or he made an executive order with some unemployment protections, but it has all these, like, caveats and, like, qualifications. It's just, like, they can't just do, like, a blatant thing or i don't know again i don't want them to just print money because i know what that does I, I know what that calls for but it's just like people need something okay and you, you can't just be like oh well on this certain payroll like everybody unless they own like a fortune 500 company like everybody needs some kind of aid and i've been lucky to get some aid here and there but it's just like, the fact that they're dragging their heels on this is just like, it just really shows how ineffective they are and just how useless they are. And it really goes to show why nobody cares. Why nobody cares? Because our leaders don't care. And we keep electing them. We keep electing these useless leaders who are only in it for their donors, who are only in it for their class, their group. And, you know, maybe... People like me should step into government, but I, I don't think there's any hope. That's the thing. That's, you know, I don't see any hope because the only option is to dismantle the most powerful group on the planet and they're going to pull every dirty trick. 
They really are. And like you think you're only targeting one group, but you're really targeting like the business executives, the media executives, Hollywood producers, uh, politicians, military leaders. Like it's the ruling class, the 1%, right? And they own everything or they're out to own everything. And they think they own everything. So it, it really, it, like, this idea of a class war is very interesting for, to me. Because it, it's not necessarily going to be people out in the streets. I mean, that's what a lot of leftists, leftists think that it's going to be. Or that it should be. People out in the streets burning down businesses. But that's, like, that's only going to hurt you. And, of course, the media is using it against you. That's why BLM is not getting the support that it needs. But then again, you know, BLM has its own issues that I've touched on before. So, but, you know, this idea that it has to be out in the streets and has to be in front of everybody. Like, the true class war is quiet. The true class war is at, you know, with these legislations, these anti-union legislations... These mysterious suicides that are occurring, journalists and activists, uh, you know Michael Hastings, for instance, it's a, uh, it's quiet. It's a shadow war. It's it's black ops. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, and this isn't like some mafia crime syndicate. This is, it's going to be you know these corporations, and you know. Again, I keep I keep talking about cyberpunk, but like it's that's what we're turning into. We're very much in a cyberpunk world right now. We just don't have those implants yet. We very well could get those soon. But it's it really shows like because when you examine like what needs to be done to reverse this or at least make some kind of change because it's one thing for the middle class and the working people to rise up, but the ruling class has all the tools and weapons at their disposal. They got everything. So, really, the only option left is to sit back and watch for them to destroy themselves because they're living unsustainable lives. So, that's just naturally what it's going to lead to. They're going to going to fall under under their own weight. So that's what we have to wait for. <laughs> we have to wait for that when the pay for the police, the military is essentially worthless, like they can't get anything for it. They're just going they're just going to revert back to their families and protect their families, not their interests. Well, I mean their families are their interests, but you know, the, the point is that they do all that work, all that security and police work in order to provide for the family. So when that no longer is viable and sustainable, they're just going to use what they can to get what they need. And these are individuals trained in you know, shooting and combat. So naturally they're going to succeed when they, when they look for it, when they want it. So that's what, I mean, that's something that these ruling class people don't, I don't think they realize just yet. So all that money is only good for as long as it's worth anything. But 
again, you know, there's, there's always going to be a top dog. There's always going to be somebody in charge. No matter, you know, if it turns into some Mad Max dystopian uh, post-apocalypse, it's going to be, you know, the humongo guys, the, you know, the dominatrix leather clad <laughs> people that are, you know, muscled up. But yeah, I mean, they're just going to dominate because it's a world where strength is the major factor rather than wealth and power. Well, actually, the wealth in times of peace brings power. Strength in times of war brings power. So it just depends on the certain environment that you're in, really. So imagine if you have strength and wealth, like you're going to go far. But again, I kind of went on a tangent again. But my point being that you know, just tying in with the ruling class and also just the the fact that they don't care. They do really don't care because since they're doing fine, their their immediate assumption is everybody else is doing okay. Nah, it's not so bad everybody out there, but they they don't realize what's going on. They're just disconnected. So there's that. There's also the death forecast that's been released with the COVID nineteen CDC releasing a new forecast on COVID-19 deaths over the next four weeks. It came from 31 modeling groups. And so they're predicting that weekly deaths would go around from 4,000 to possibly 10,000, you know, a week. So that's, a, I mean, you know, just imagine 10,000 people dying a week. And then at the end of September 5th, you know, or the week of September 5th, it, they are predicting up to 200,000 total COVID-19 deaths. And of course, it's just going to, it's accelerating still. I mean, like we keep talking about second wave this, second wave that, but it just appears to be accelerating from the first wave. So, and the schools are opening. I mean, in some in some way, I'm just glad I'm on public school anymore. Like I'm okay with going to class in college because you're not in like such a you're not in that building. You have some more freedom to move around, and you know you can just you can go whenever wherever. Like once your class is done, you just go wherever until your next class is is scheduled. In school, high school, you're just stuck in that building. It's a fucking prison, and so. I mean, in um, Georgia already, like, there are, like, thousands of people have already gotten sick. Like, it's, you know. So, we're going to see more people dying. And it's certainly either, I mean, it's, I'm hearing one report that it's overreported. I'm hearing another report that it's underreported. I certainly believe that there are more people dead from this. Even though the toll right now is still terrible. It's still horrendous so we just i don't know man luckily i haven't known anybody personally who's died from this i've had people that i know get sick and i had extended people so not that i knew them personally but i just knew somebody who knew them so i mean these are people i've never met before but it's still like okay Still, through the grapevine, somebody that I may have met in the past has passed away. Which, you know, condolences to them and their family. Um, 
but it's just it's only a matter of time really i mean i feel lucky in that sense but like it's only a matter of time and this still has potential to mutate or you know it could weaken but i, I just you know it's going to be COVID-19 and something else is going to happen. I mean, these diseases are going to, because of climate change, it's, it's going to, we're going to see more of this. It's going to keep occurring, which, what can you, what are you going to do? I mean, you just got to survive that. Or, you know, COVID could just be a new thing that we have to live with. And, you know, already they're talking about like uh, vaccines coming out. And I, I'm not, I'm not an anti-vax person. However, now I'm starting to feel less enthusiastic about it. I'm just going to have to wait and see what happens. You know, certainly get the flu shot. That, I'll say. You know, you certainly should get the flu shot. It's just that they're certain, they are going to rush this. They're not going to do this correctly. They're going to rush it. And, you know, they have to do those long-term tests to see what the effects are down the road. So... That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to wait, hopefully avoid getting sick you know, to a certain point until I'm certain that it's not going to have some debilitating effect on my body. Because, uh, of course, I mean, I, I understand vaccines and the science of vaccines. So, I mean, it's real. I don't believe it causes autism, but it's, you know, you, you can't assume that everything, everything that they peddle is going to work. Because, like, especially with this government, I don't trust anything they tell me. So, why should I listen to them on this? Why should I trust them on this, right? You know, it's whatever. I mean, they say something about the stock market. It's bullshit. This is bullshit, really. Um, yeah, whatever. So, that's the forecast. As everybody knows, it's not good. Uh, but we're going to have to see as this month continues. It's... Uh, going to paint a larger picture on just cases and what's happening around the world, uh, happening in the country. So talking more on the U.S. and our outlook right now, certainly talking about our economic situation. And so we had... I mean, it's no secret that we're most likely going to experience a collapse, a economic collapse of some kind, a dollar crash. And it's just, it's becoming more and more uh, apparent. Like, like this is historically bad. This is historically bad. And so, you know, of course, people are just, you know, blushing from it. Like, they're, you know, they're, they don't want to address it, but... You know, we, we just had like a, a recent uh, update on the uh, negative, uh, sorry, the credit rating for the U.S. The, the Fitch revised it. Uh, so, so I'm reading from FitchRatings.com. So the key driver behind this, quote, the U.S. sovereign rating is supported by structural strengths that include... The size of the economy, high per capita income, and a dynamic business environment. The, U the U.S. benefits from issuing the U.S. dollar, the world's preeminent reserve currency, and from the associated extraordinary financing flexibility, which has been highlighted once again by development since March 2020. Fitch considers U.S. debt tolerance to be higher than of that of other AAA sovereigns, 
However, the outlook has been revised to negative to reflect the ongoing deterioration in the U.S. public finances and the absence of a credible fiscal consolidation plan. Issues that were highlighted in the agency's last review, last rating review on March 26, 2020, high fiscal deficits and debt were already on a rising medium-term path even before the onset of the huge economic shock precipitated by the coronavirus. Uh, they have started to erode the, the traditional credit strengths of the U.S. financing flexibility, assisted by the Federal Reserve intervention to restore liquidity to financial markets does not entirely dispel risk to medium-term debt sustainability, and there is a growing risk that the U.S. that U.S. policymakers will not consolidate public finance sufficiently to stabilize public debt after the pandemic shock has passed, end quote. So, this is a, you know, a financial, you know, ratings agency, and so they are, they, you know, they look at countries and just organizations, and so you know, they they downgraded our outlook because our, our credit score basically because everybody you know the the American people are everybody everybody that I talk to is experiencing some kind of like financial problems. It's just like it's everywhere unless like you know you own the country, but the fact that this is happening to everybody and our leadership is failing like they can't come to an agreement. It's just like they're they're just allowing things to get worse. Like they're just bad. They're just they suck. Democrats and Republicans. In fact, they're basically the same. Look, I mean, look at Joe Biden now. I mean, look, Joe Biden. He uh, he's coming out with Kamala Harris, and uh, it was no surprise. It, it was obvious. People kind of <laughs> they said uh, a female woman of color. It was either going to be Kamala Harris or Michelle Obama. And so they picked Kamala Harris, which, all right. No, I mean, she was calling him out on the stage pretty hard. But now they're going to team up. Okay, fine. And so this is happening. And it's just like the Democrats are shifting more to the right. They really are, especially with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Because, like... <laughs> He's not a progressive. They they are both not progressives. They are not. And, I mean, he's opposed to Medicare for all. So they are certainly opposed to marijuana legalization. So it, it just really shows that, like, the Democrats and the Republicans are basically the same team. They really are. It's just like one accuses the other of racism. And that's the fucked up part, too. It's racism. That's what separates the two. Or at least the perception of racism right even then it's just like it, wow man like cuz now with this election rolling around and i said it before that i'm not voting for joe biden or trump I, like and like even when i said it then i was still on the fence i'm like well maybe maybe something will convince me to pitch in now it's just like dude this fucking sucks like i don't want to be a part of this i don't <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. I don't even want to like cast a vote for anybody because like I just I it, I have no faith in it. It's just a waste. It feels like a waste, and it's not me wasting it. It was the whole system. I digress. You know, it. 
So anyway, we have this outlook. Of course, there's no surprise, really. All of this is no surprise. But it, it really shows the outlook and just how uncertain people are about the U.S. dollar. Because, uh, like, already, like, different countries are looking for, like, the, you know, different corporations. and They're just looking for different avenues out. Uh you know, gold is on the rise. All these precious metals are on the rise. Uh, and again, I don't really know much about this aspect of it, the, the finances and stock markets and all that, but that that's happening. And of course, we're also experiencing a coin shortage. So now there's certain places that won't accept cash. I, I can't break a 20. Maybe I, maybe I could. It just depends. But like, it, it's like in certain places, they, they tell you straight up, no, no cash, no coins, nothing. Meanwhile, the U.S. Mint is telling people to spend more cash and change. So it's like, what's happening here? What, what exactly is happening here? So just overnight, we became a cashless society because nobody has any change. And so we have to do all these transactions on cards and uh, with your phone. Okay. Those aren't exactly the most yeah, secure means of payment. And... It's not necessarily the most uh, effective because there's, there's been instances where, like, I pay with my card and then the server, I guess, whichever device sends the information to the bank. I, I don't know exactly how those machines work, but it would just it would just lag. So, like, I know I know I can pay it. Like, it's it's not even like a big purchase. Like, it's just like a small, like, drink that I got at a gas station. And then I have to sit there and wait for the machine to process the payment, which I know I can pay for. So imagine that happening on a wide scale where there's a cyber attack. So people's cards can't make purchases or maybe their, their physical account got hacked or a blackout. So there's no power. So it's not even like yeah because i mean more and more and more places are going to experience blackouts so when that happens and nobody has cash to spend because it's worthless it's like it's gonna to have to go back to bartering it's gonna is people are just gonna to have to like hey i have this and i can give you this or some other uh means of payment i mean it's as i said if down the pipeline we all come out of this or some group, some amount of us, enough of us get out of it. If down the line, we can have history lessons. They're they're really going to examine this instance of economic turbulence and just collapse. Because like this is comically historic. That's what I should say. This is like again the only response I have to this now. All these dire news reports and like just just. Wow, just really bad. Just it's funny. To me it's genuinely funny. I don't like the suffering, people dying, but just the the collapse. It's funny. It's just it's hilarious cuz it's just like you didn't need me to point this out. You didn't you don't need me to point this out. That's my whole point. That you really don't. So I, yeah, not that I have a solution for it, but it's just like this was obviously going to happen and everybody and some folks act like this is a shock to the system which it is you know just the the acceptance of it 
you know, because I've gone through my grief stage already. So just just the realization, like, oh, okay, this is not gonna. Things don't look too good. That already is a, is a enough for some people to end it. Like already, like suicides have been through the roof. So people have to trick themselves into not thinking that because they're not they're go getters. You know, you can't be pessimistic and you can't be you know doom and gloom, all that doomer mentality. But there's that. I mean, the you know coin shortage, you know U.S. market collapse. Also, another report came out of a uh, U.S. GDP shrink. And so what they showed was that, so people assumed that in the quarter, the second quarter, that the U.S. clap or the U.S. GDP shrunk by 30% in the quarter, which wasn't the case. It was, the case was that the rate that it shrunk in the quarter was more like 9% or something. But the point being that if that rate continued for the rest of the year, it would have shrunk, the, the economy would have shrunk by 30%, or G- GDP, I mean. And so, and that's mainly from just the shock of the, the shutdown and the, the riots. But still, 9% shrink in a quarter is like, obviously, is a historic shrink. Uh, and we're just going to see have to see what happens, because... The second lockdown, because everybody's acting like this is going to be hypothetical, but there will be a second shutdown. That's the boogaloo. That's the boogaloo, and that's going to be with the election. So we have economic meltdown on top of an election crisis. Like, that's just too much. This has to be on purpose. It's like, how else are you going to collapse the United States government with when the dollar is worth nothing, I mean, people can't spend cash. And if enough of our infrastructure collapses and deteriorates, there won't be accessible power. So if you have a cashless society with no power, it's going to be the Stone Age. <laughs> like, it's... What? Like... So... And then, you know, so you have the economic uncertainty with the political crisis on top of racial tensions. It is a disaster waiting to happen. And then you have... You know, a mental health crisis as well. So people are more, you know, irrational. Uh, rising rates of violence in the major cities. I mean, even in my small town now, I'm starting to read police blotter, uh, the police reports and blotters. And uh, like now uh, I'm starting to see reports of assault in different apartment complexes that I deliver in. So like, you know, already I was keeping my head on a swivel. Now I'm like, I, I got to stay strapped when I'm delivering fast food, because I don't, I mean, I go to some pretty remote places, so, like, it's a a wonder I haven't had any problems. So, that's happening there, the U.S. economic crisis, uh, but just moving onward. I also wanted to talk about the Postal Service that I have been uh, talking about in the past, and its importance, and just, it's already, they're experiencing another... uh, crisis of its own funding crisis and so it's what's happening now is that with this whole dilemma of settling a coronavirus a coronavirus stimulus 
you know, they're bartering. They're, they're you know, bargaining. Uh, give me this and I'll give you that. And so what's happening now is that President Trump is rejecting a $25 billion emergency fund grant for the post office. And so he's making claims that, you know, so, okay, part of this is on the Democrats because what's being revealed now is that the Democrats, they want to, like, take out, like, uh, signature verifications and they want to mail it out just en masse to everybody. So that, I wouldn't say, is the smartest move because if you just mail out something to people, you can't assume that they're still there. Um, you know, so, I mean, imagine two people voting, you know, you, uh, yeah, imagine you sent out a ballot to somebody, to a house that the person's not even at, but they still voted, and then the person at that house signs it and votes for them, I, I mean, yeah, so it's, it's going to be very convoluted, it's just, uh, I find it so, um, like, now we're having all these problems with voting, like, We've done it for hundreds of years now, but now in 2020, it's impossible to do, <laughs> you know, and like, I was like kind of on the fence about like, should people vote at the polls and like, they should still be able to, I mean, of course they should wear masks and you know, it should be a holiday so everybody can just come and go. But if people want to vote by mail, they should be, that should be readily available to them also. I mean, like, this is like, it, they've politicized something that doesn't have to be politicized. I mean, like, it's the post office. And so, in voting, well, anyway, I didn't mean to, like, get sidetracked by that. So, yeah, the Democrats, they were wanting to remove, like, signature verification. So, that, in, in that sense, is not good, because we, we still need to verify that this is the right person voting. But at the same time, I do feel that Trump is going to hold back on it hold back on any postal service help because that could bite him in the ass or couldn't it could actually like help him i don't know like ugh. i don't know because i mean these democrats are making assumptions that people are going to vote for them on mass and i'm not so i don't necessarily think that's the case but who knows because i mean in 2016 trump didn't have power so now he does and so people are going to judge him off of that. But, it, I mean, again, it just shows how incompetent both sides are. Um, and it, it's really going to, I feel like there's going to be a government shutdown. I feel like, yeah, that's what's going to happen, man. It's, it's going to be a war. I'm sorry, it's going to be a war. We have a pandemic, economic shutdown, and political inaction. And once the government shuts down, all those services, uh, you know, food stamps, all those government employees, they're, yeah, it's just, what's going to happen after that? Oh, my God. I mean, this is just historic levels of incompetence, and, you know, we're slowly going to turn into a country that's just lost its mind, and nobody's, it, wow, man, this fucking country, man. You know, you, you stop and really think about this country, and that's right, like, 
you know, George Carlin said, you know, when you're born, you're in the freak show. But when you're in the U.S., you have a front row seat. And it's just, it's a freak show out here. It really is. You know, I'm kind of glad that I kind of stay out of everything because it's fucking madness. It really is madness out there. So, so again, the Postal Service, they're experiencing their, you know, problems funding-wise. And there's also talk of having UPS and FedEx handle mail-in votes which they have come out and said like they they're not going to do it properly so like who knows really who knows and also you know i've seen that like the um the postmaster general uh louis de joy or is it louis de joy he uh he's isn't necessarily like the biggest fan of the post office yeah, so he's he's implementing cost-cutting measures, including reductions in overtime and late trips that are causing service disruptions and delays in mail delivering parts of the U.S. So, yeah, I mean, this is a the 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 post office is vital for the function of this country, and so when that's gone, or if it's diminished to like. Yeah, it it's really gonna set us back. It's like to a point that you can't even like imagine. It's really gonna set us back. I don't like. Yeah, this is really what it felt like to be in Rome, watching the Goths, you know, raid the city, and then the Dark Ages just take over, and you're like, what the f- what happened? We had everything, and it just slipped through our fingers. But there's that. So U.S. Postal Office is a it, it's a bargaining chip for the stimulus, coronavirus stimulus, the election, whatever. It, yeah, and he's also you know Trump is also talking about delaying the election. So you know, talking about delaying the election, which he can't do. He he can't do that. It's not it's mandated by the Constitution. And even then, if there's there's no election held, like he has to step down legally, and somebody else takes some control. So there's measures in place, you know. I'll give the the founding fathers that credit for that. Like they they understood, well, not necessarily what the modern world, world would look like, but they understood at least some political infrastructure for a peaceful transition of power. Because if this wasn't in place, like okay, if the election isn't held, then this individual will take control until the election does take place and they they didn't think that through then we of course would experience like you know violence and unrest and the day afterwards who knows so trump is calling for an election delay who most likely won't get it he shouldn't get it like i would just say do it because he's making the assumption that he'll lose uh, or for the most part, he's uh, he's mostly saying that we'll, we'll be uncertain and we won't know. Uh, honestly, like, you know, he probably feels that he's going to lose because the Democrats, in his mind, if the Democrats have all the voting power, or not even voting power, it's just like, if there's more votes in, more ballots in, then it's the likelihood of him losing is greater. 
then again, you know, he has to make the assumption that people are willing to vote in the first place. Like, you know, there's more millennials and people like myself, but we don't vote. We don't vote. You know, and, and I'm out here like, and I'm a politically active person, and I'm already like thinking about not voting. So like, you know, I'm the best case scenario when it comes to a young generation political activity. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say that. That's not but what I mean is voting wise, because I do I do like to vote. You know, getting others to do that is a lot harder. It's like drawing blood from a stone, and just explaining like. It really shows how, like, terrible our education system is having to explain our system of government towards, uh, you know, 20-year-olds, grown adults, essentially, because they're still in that kid mindset, you know. Now, I mean, of course, you know, there's still those growing pains, but for the most part, like, it's pretty understood now that we're all adults. And yet, still, there's, like, a childish mindset of, like, what's happening? Like, it's just, like, everything. Yeah, they're still experiencing everything for the first time for some folks, right? So, yeah, that's happening there. So, enough about, really, the election unrest. But still, you know, having to deal with Portland and just unrest there. So, in Portland, they've been having the demonstrations Antifa trying to burn down the courthouse, which I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I'm not really a fan of instigating violence, which in a lot of sense is exactly what happened here. They just gathered around this building and tried to vandalize it and damage it. And naturally, the FBI and, and other federal agents responded trying to protect the building. I've, I wasn't a fan of the cars, you know, the unmarked vehicles taking people. I'm just not a fan of that. I mean, you can spin it however you want, but I mean, like, sometimes the optic speaks for itself. Like, even if it's done appropriately, it's still like, how, how can you not expect people to be against this? So, that was happening. And, you know, the mayor, the Portland mayor, the governor, they were trying to, like, oppose the federal government. But then I think they slowly realized how out of control the Antifa people were. And so they're kind of just, just like, okay, what, what can we do to help? Uh, so the agreement that they have with the feds is that they the feds would pull out or at the very least stay inside the, the courthouse and then state police would be outside. So that happened there. And already they have been... Already they're withdrawing. Like, they're already, like, having disagreements. So I'm reading this from a local agency, local news agency, KDRV. And so, reading, quote, Oregon State Police on Thursday revealed that it would, it would withdraw its complement of officers deployed in the city of Portland. The detachment came to Oregon's largest city and, quote, Oregon State Police on Thursday revealed that it would withdraw its complement of officers deployed in the city of Portland. The, the detachment came to Oregon's largest city in the beginning of August under an agreement with Governor Kate Brown to fill the vacuum left by federal law enforcement officers from the Department of Homeland Security. OSP's officers were charged primarily with taking over protection of the Mark O. Hatfield Federal Courthouse during continued nightly protests and flare-ups of violence and vandalism. 
while the departure of federal forces from downtown did largely shift the flashpoint of protests away from the courthouse, it did not mark the end of violence in Portland over the following two weeks, with frequent clashes taking place outside the Portland Police Association offices. Uh, this decision was based on the fact that our two-week commitment ended last night, an OSP spokesperson said in a statement, Troopers are returning to the communities that they are assigned to, serve and protect. We will continually assess our resources if our partners at PPB need OSP assistance, end quote. So they went, the, the state police went to defend the courthouse and from there the protests moved on, but then they also started targeting police uh, offices. So in a way, like the fact that the feds pulled back and it was Oregon police out there may have had an effect, most likely, most likely had an effect on it. I mean, you know, you look at these federal troops, I mean, that's what they look like and that's what they are with camouflage and all that. So naturally, people on the streets are going to have a, a violent opposition towards it because the assumption is, a, oh, it's the invader. It's a, somebody coming to invade and occupy us, even though it's like, it was a federal building, so like technically they were within their right. But yeah, so that happened there. And so after a couple, like two weeks, they have decided to move on from there. But I mean, Oregon is, is going to be like a, uh, just a hot city, really. It's just, I don't know. Because Oregon was off, you know, or I shouldn't say Oregon. Uh, Portland was portrayed as like the hippy dippy city. But now it's like the anarcho, you know, Antifa headquarters, you know, on the streets, clashing with the police. So, which in, in like some ways is like, all right, well, Portland is like upgraded in the coolness level, I guess. I guess it's cool to live in Oregon now or Portland, uh, but it's still like this could very easily turn into something else. So, there, there's that. So, Portland is interesting. So, I would recommend another uh, podcast series. It's, uh, it's called It Could Happen Here. And so, it's just running down the hypothetical situation of a second civil war in the United States. Basically, in vain with this show, Collapse Talk. I mean, it's the same pointers. So... He points, uh, his name escapes me, but he points out that specifically Portland being one of these areas that starts, you know, escalated violence with police and protesters because this is just an area where, you know, there's just anti-government leftist sentiment, really. And so he points specifically to Portland being you know, with the the Proud Boys and Antifa coming to blows and, you know, the police siding with the Proud Boys or, you know, something along that line happening and then that being blown up on a more national stage and so it being, you know, yeah. So it's a similar situation that we saw with, um, or the hypothetical situation laid out for Portland is exactly what we saw in Austin, not too long ago, with the shooting of Garrett Foster, or yeah, so and in that instance, he approached the vehicle 
uh, with a weapon, AK-47. And as a crowd of people were starting to hit on the car, and so the driver saw Garrett with the gun, with the rifle, and they exchanged fire, and Foster was killed. So, you know, in those instances, I have to ask myself, what would I do if I'm driving and suddenly there's a crowd of people around me? If, if, I, if I was driving and I saw a crowd of BLM people and I just took the wrong turn, even though I'm somebody who is sympathetic towards the cause, I still would be afraid and I still would have my gun ready because I don't know what the fuck is going to happen because it's a crowd of people and they can just make the wrong assumption about me and anything could happen. So, and this and this is what my, my point has been about these public displays and the guns at protests because like you have a weapon like that, you know, the whole, you think you might be making a statement, but like, if something goes down, like people are either going to look to you to do something or look to you as a threat. Either way. So that's why I don't like bringing a weapon like that to a public display, unless it's like a group thing and it's done properly. But when it's like, you know, when it's just like, when it has like the high school element of like yeah team spirit you know that that element of it and you're bringing a gun to that demonstration and not taking things seriously just like trying to have fun instead of like you know taking it seriously like this isn't a joke anymore you know which i don't think he thought it was a joke garrett foster but it's just like you know there's there's children in there and you're bringing a rifle to it so and then somebody got shot yeah, who knows? Who knows? And you know, there, there, like, there were actual people posting stuff saying that he was unarmed when there's footage of him with the gun, you know. And I mean, it's you know, nobody's really gonna shoot unless like they feel threatened. And like, there's no, I mean, like, if I were in that guy's shoe and I saw that, I would be concerned, very concerned. And then again, the the guy who shot. Garrett, upon like closer digging, he's also talked about shooting protesters. So it's like, it's almost, it almost feels like this was a type of person who was looking to get in a situation like that. So it's one thing when like they just took the wrong turn and they're in the middle of a protest and then something happened and they had to shoot somebody. It's another thing when there was a person, a person like this, his name escapes me, but who is like openly like bragging about it like on Facebook because there's people who just openly brag about murder on Facebook it's fucking crazy it really is so and this is this guy was one of those people <laughs> so you you have folks uh, you know on the right talking about this shooter and they're lionizing him, and they're—I mean, I haven't seen him them go as far as making him a hero. But there, there are genuinely people who think George Zimmerman is a hero. So it's not that far out of the question. I mean, like George Zimmerman has a true cult following. It's fucking despicable. Um, but you know, the same thing with this guy, or the same mentality, really. 
you know, fuck yeah, you stood up for yourself and you killed the guy. You're, yeah. You know, but you know, I, anybody who celebrates violence is not somebody who's right in the head because they don't understand what it entails on both sides. Because you see a lot of, the, you know, and I know I certainly sound like somebody who is about like revolution, whatever, but like, I know that there are other means to achieve that. And I understand that burning down buildings is not the most effective means of doing it. It is actually the worst and counterproductive. My point is just like certain conditions lead to that. That's my point. Uh, you know, like this is why I'm not surprised by any of this. You know, I'm not living in fear. I'm worried because I know where it can go and I don't want it to go there. But I'm not surprised. That's all it is. It's not surprising. It's like, yeah, yeah, all right. Somebody got shot at a protest. Yes. <laughs> it's like, I keep, you know, anyway. Moving on. So, so that's happening there. So we have the protests and just unrest, general unrest and rise in violent crime around the country. And so... We are, or Trump is instituting a new uh, police action called Operation Legend. And so this is going to uh, essentially be an operation where federal agents will be, you know, deployed into different cities with rising crime, uh, specifically with this beginning in Kansas City. And so this is a coordinated law enforcement initiative across all federal law enforcement agencies. In fact, I'll just read the actual statement from General Attorney General Wilbar. And so, uh, quote, today, Attorney General William P. Barr announced the launch of Operation Legend, a sustained, systemic, and coordinated law enforcement initiative across all agencies working in conjunction with state and local law enforcement officials to fight the sudden surge of violent crime beginning in Kansas City, Missouri. Operation Legend has crea was created as a result of President Trump's promise to assist America's cities that are plagued by recent violence. Operation Legend is named after four-year-old legend Talifiro, who was shot and killed while he slept early in the morning of June 29th in Kansas City. The latest in a string of violence to play Kansas City in recent weeks, Kansas City has also has already reached 100 homicides this year, a 40% increase from last year. President Trump has made clear the federal government stands ready and willing to assist any of our state and local law enforcement partners across the nation responding to violent crime. Operation Legend will combine federal and local resources to combat the disturbing uptick and violence by surging federal agents and other federal assets into cities like Kansas City, a city currently experiencing its worst homicide rate in its history, said Attorney General Barr. The department's Operation Legend is named in honor of one of Kansas City's youngest victims, four-year-old legend Tally Furo, who was shot in the face while sleeping in his bed. Legend's death is a horrifying reminder that violent crime left unchecked is a threat to all of us and cannot be allowed to continue. As part of Operation Legend, 
Attorney General Barr directed federal agents from the FBI, U.S. Marshal Service, DEA, ATF, and to surge resources to Kansas City in the upcoming weeks to help state and local officials fight the surge of violent crime. They will be working alongside state and local law enforcement agencies. Department of Justice assists assets will include over 100 FBI agents, U.S. Marshals, DEA agents, and ATF agents. In addition, Timothy A. Garrison, U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Missouri, will be surging additional resources from his office to ensure he is able to handle an anticipated increase in prosecutions. End quote. So, that's a statement from the Department of Justice. And so, a lot of people have characterized it, and I've on social media, I certainly mischaracterized it, and it appeared to be a uh, an invasion, or that's what they were claiming it to be, like you know, just federal troops in the city, you know, patrolling the streets. What it really is is more of federal agents assisting in the office with you know paperwork and the bureaucracy, where cops can spend more time patrolling. So we'll take it from there. I mean, that, that's that uh, that's what it really is. So it's not necessarily going to be, you know, FBI agents arresting you. It's still going to be the local cops. It's just the FBI is going to be, uh, or, or all these other agents, they're, they're just going to help out more with, uh, you know, just the bureaucracy and paperwork and all that evidence. And so, and, and I'm not opposed to that. So again, I talk about cops, and you know, I've talked a lot of shit. I talk a lot of shit about cops, like, but it, I don't want to abolish them because, you know, in this instance, dealing with violence, we need law enforcement, and that's what they should be for. Just dealing with violence and other deviants, you know, not morality policing, but just you know, there has to be a check. Because regardless of what you do, somebody is going to set the rules in place. Because somebody has to enforce it. Somebody has to, you know, create order. People want order. They don't care how they achieve it. So, yeah. So, that's the thing. Because, you know, you settle your differences in a civil society with laws. Because outside of that, you just settle it with a duel. And the strongest are the ones who assert themselves, always. Which, I mean, in our instance, I mean, the, the strongest will always assert itself, but you want to make sure that it's righteous and that there's you know, some kind of code involved with it because you can't just let it be like, well, it's my rules, so whatever. Anyway, so, again, I, I you know, when I talk about abolish the police, it's mainly jokes. When I, when I talk about like something that uh, radical, it's mostly for a joke because I like triggering people and getting them all, you know, wound up. But yeah, of course I want police around. You know, I don't want to deal with issues on my own. So, you know, just talking about my personal life. So, in my apartment complex, there have been recent break-ins into cars, including my own. Like, they've actually taken some uh, pretty important stuff. Nah, not to get too personal, but like, you know, some pretty important stuff that, you know, I feel stupid for leaving in the car. 
I shouldn't have left it there. But still, like, it's like, these are instances where it's good to have police because then I can make a report and they, they have, they already know. And also because I don't have to deal with it and I don't have to sort things straight because, you know, and, and here's the thing, because like, I actually like saw who did it, not in the act, but I saw them. And part of the reason why I didn't confront them is because I don't know what this person was capable of. In fact, it was like a group of kids. It was like, it was just these kids, high school kids. <sighs> Fucking, this is what I mean. I'm worried about the next generation. Really worried about them. But they were like, they saw me and I didn't want to confront them. Well, partly because you're not necessarily a tough guy when you're you know, dealing with 14 year olds, you know, but like, how do I know that they're not armed? Like they're not carrying something, right? So I'm not going to deal with that. You know, I can't just like confront them because then they can mess me up. I'm outnumbered. And also because, you know, you're, other people are going to see that and they're going to make a report of some kind. So you're, you're not going to be the badass. <laughs> but if there's no police and I had to deal that, with that on my own, you know, there's that, well, you're not going to get in trouble because you're not going to get arrested. There's no police. But then it's also like you, you have to deal with this. And I could very easily mess it up. I mean, I don't know what I'm walking into. Somebody could easily get hurt. So not that I want any of that to happen, but it's like, you're messing with my shit. I, I have to respond. Like, I, I can't allow that to happen. Like, I mean, they already took my shit. So like, <laughs> like in a, you know, in a Mad Max scenario, like, I have to write this wrong, but because we have police in a civil society, I call them, I make a report, you know, give them all the information that I can and hope that they can find them and deal with them accordingly because that's not my job and I don't want to have to deal with that. That's more of a headache. And then like, I'm literally sitting here like the idea of having to like sit in the brush and wait for somebody to fuck with my car. That's a really like... It's a dumb idea, and I don't want to do it, but it's just like, what options do I have, apart from calling the police, you know, but that's just something that was happening to me, and, you know, also my complex is just, they're just dumb, they're really dumb, like, the front gate is open, which typically wouldn't have been a problem, like, because for some reason they don't, they don't have a gate code, it's just like a card, and all that, uh, but now they've left it open, wide open, and we've been having crime in the complex. So they, we've, I've, I called them, telling them to close it or asking them to close it, and they just make up some some excuse about logistics and because they have to wipe down the number pad, which like is ridiculous. Like that doesn't make any sense. But they they just make excuses not to do their jobs. But then they found out about this cat that I got, and already they're trying to charge me and fine me for it. Which I don't care for. I don't care. They can piss off. I'm like, this is my little quiet rebellion keeping this cat. So, you know, fuck you. But, yeah. So crime is on the rise. And, uh, you know, 
we're, we're talking about this Operation Legend, which has been mischaracterized as some sort of invasion of the cities, which is not what it is. Uh, but yeah. And so that's the thing, too. Just, you know, another uh, tangent that I want to touch up on is the. I'm starting to realize now that the media is having their own agenda. Obviously, they, they are. And I was never trustworthy of them to begin with. But now, like, I have to be extra cynical because it's like, unless I go to some alternative source, like, most of the information that I get is just wrong from these groups, from the media. I mean, the media has, like, record low, like, approval, especially with my generation because it, we get so much information from social media. Like, we don't really need these TV shows and all that. Like, we don't need CNN like that. Those newscasters. We don't We don't need that. We don't need that. You know, the podcasting is, it helps. So that's another front that's going to grow. Just the internet in general. Because the internet, you just get information. Like, you don't have to get it at a specific hour from a specific person. Unless you want to listen to that person. So, yeah, that's a thing. So that it's happening there but the media you know the same thing with the russian bounty thing i ran with that because the media was running with it so i was like well this is what they're saying and then more information is coming out that they weren't necessarily correct and it's not even like the media like it's not even that the media corrects it they just don't cover the story anymore they just say all right well we'll just focus on something else like they don't go back to it I mean, there's a lot going on, so their attention span... Most Americans' attention spans is like five seconds anyway. So the media kind of can get away with not focusing on a particular story or, you know, not not correcting it unless they get enough backlash from it where they have to correct it because everybody's telling them. But on this, with Operation Legend, they're not necessarily characterizing it in the right way but that's that's on them really so media don't listen to them <laughs> and uh operation legend is going down well we'll just have to see because eventually there will be an occupation of troops and cities i mean you already see it like it's already like militarized cops and national guards so like it's only a matter of time before the United States just turns into another war zone. So that's just what it is. But moving on from that, uh, as we know, we're finishing up with the domestic segment. I want to touch up with the schools reopening. So the schools, it's... I feel so bad for those kids, man. You know... And it's so strange being in the position that I'm in because high school was yesterday for me. And I still, of course, nothing really mattered there. Like, I mean, I hated my school. I hated it so much. But, you know, for some reason, like, my mind is still in that space. Of course, I want to get away from that. But it's still recent. So, like, a lot of that, a lot of those memories are still there. And so, just imagining what they had to deal with and going to class, being stuck in class, with all of that was a nightmare. On top of this, now we have 
the pandemic so like not only is it a nightmare and stressful but you could get sick and spread it get, you know you could die and spread it to other people i mean because everybody's assuming that this won't affect young people which is not true young people everywhere i won't say everywhere but young people are getting really sick from this and even then they could get it from the school and bring it to their homes and that's how a lot of homes get sick because they caught it at school so that's happening there i mean i guess they're like phasing the openings depending on the state that you're in i know the east coast they open they, they go to school earlier than us or you know public school wise and so you know places like georgia in georgia i mean they were kind of doing terribly with the pandemic response and already like like so okay everybody saw that image of the georgia school what's it called uh, Paulding County High School that came out August 4th, August 4th. And it was just, a, a, okay, look, under normal circumstances, this is just a normal image of kids being kids, just going to class. I mean, these hallways are packed naturally. So like, yeah, I mean, like, it, it, unless you're in a rush, you just got to go with the flow. Because if you're in a rush, you're just like, you're basically like pushing through like crowds of people. And then there's like a group, that one group that's going at their own pace. So like they're creating a wall. So they have space in front of them. They don't think anything's going on, but everybody's behind them like fucking move. Like, <laughs> so, but I mean, in normal circumstances, in a normal day in America, this image wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. But because we're in a pandemic, this is nightmare fuel. This is, uh, yeah, I mean, this makes, it's like, why, of course, I'm not a parent, so I'm not in that position, but if I were, I would do as much as I can to have my kids at home, and they might not like it, because they want to go with their friends and hang out, and look, because I, I understand where some people are talking about parenting these days, and like, I didn't have parents who, of course, they, 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 they took care of me and they wanted me to have a good home and all that. But it was, like, pretty clear that, like, they were in charge. Like, there was really, like, we couldn't power, I mean, we shouldn't. But, like, in a lot of instances, they were like, you have no rights here. This is our house. <laughs> this is not your house. This is our house that we made for you. But this is our house. Like, that was understanding. And that's the way it should be with a lot of kids. It's like, you know, there's a certain point where you got to get the fuck out. <laughs> um, but it's like, you know, so, yeah, probably a lot of parents, they didn't want to homeschool their kids because their kids would have been resentful over the fact that, oh, you took me from school. But it's just like, of course, a lot of parents just can't homeschool so there's that too but you know yeah i'm sure a lot of those kids they just didn't care i mean like look, none, none of them are wearing masks that's the thing too so like they didn't have any adults around them to tell them to wear masks that's the other thing so they had no teachers uh, like the, the superintendents n no adults had told those kids to wear masks a couple of them wore masks but no adults told them to 
Because, I mean, kids imitate their parents and the adults around them. So, like, it's not that hard to see, like, who inspired this. who, who Who's inspiring this action, really. But anyway, I, I, I digress. But, you know, it's... Uh, public schools haven't necessarily opened in Texas just yet. And the, the public school that I went to, the district, they're... Of course, it's a more affluent area. And, I, and from my understanding more people are accepting of this disease or I mean more understanding of this disease well I could be very wrong because it's a it's a highly suburbanite yuppie area uh, so I don't know I mean again I haven't set foot back in my school since I graduated actually the only other time that I set back there was because it was an evacuation center uh, during the floods of Hurricane Harvey so the only other time that I stepped back at my high school was because I was a refugee <laughs> in my own community. That's the only reason I went back. Because <laughs> there's a lot of people that just stick around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But anyway, I digress. But uh, school's reopening. And of course, I got my classes lined up, which should be interesting. Um, but I feel more comfortable in the college classroom now, unless it's like auditorium size, than I would in just a regular high school. Like no, mm -mm. even even without the pandemic, just no. I don't. I don't want to be near high school right now. <laughs> um. So, we have that. So, I was gonna actually wrap up with that, but I have one more point domestically that I want to touch up on, and then I'm done. So, again, we have problems with the economy, politically, and. It's going to be interesting to see what happens to each state because you have to view, right, that the whole idea of the United States is that we're each state, it's its own independent nation, basically, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how each state is affected by it, uh, by this pandemic and also the depression, the looming depression. And California is going to be one of those states that's going to. I mean, from the forecast that I'm seeing, it looks like it's going to collapse. It really looks like, like, it's one of those situations where people were sold something until they were, they got it. And now it's, it's falling apart. I mean, cause like California for so long has been like advertised as like, you know, the golden coast, you know, gotta get here man you gotta you know come to california man <laughs> you know you, you can make it here man and you know you go to la and it's like a homeless city homeless capital you know uh, fucking washed up actors and people who are stuck there i mean they're just they're stuck there people from the midwest that wanted to make it big and they're living in a car and they can't go anywhere else you know, so in that sense, you know, it's Night City. It's literally cyberpunk. I mean, it's Night City. <laughs> That's the way I see it. Um, yeah, so it, California looks to be, in 10 years time, looks to be like a bad place to live, honestly, just from what I'm seeing. And LA especially looks like hell. Like I had a friend actually who had to move back in LA 
And I'm just like, how long are you going to be there? Because you got to get the fuck out. Like, and that's my advice to everybody in the major city. Get out. Get out. I'm so glad that I'm not in Houston. I knew that I did not want to go to college uh, in Houston. And this is like, I, just, I have so much peace here. There's, there's really lots of peace here. But people want to be in the big city because they can get everything, you know, like that. You know, they can or they can go to a club and waste a whole bunch of money, but like still like you know all the flashiness and it, it's it's mainly material things that force people or entice people into the big city. Uh, but you know, there's no real substance really. There's no peace of mind. There's no like purpose. It's just like consume. That's all a city is. It's consume. So we've had, you know, the exodus from California that's occurring right now. And what's being shown is that a lot of these people who are leaving California, they're coming to Texas. I mean, Joe Rogan is the big one that people are coming to or pointing out. Uh, and it's surprising now. Like, just from proximity alone, my in, my chances of seeing Joe Rogan increase substantially, which I don't believe I would ever get to a position to actually be on his show. But that you know, people like I can dream. I I can dream, right? <laughs> um, he's definitely been a inspiration in that regard. So, but you know, people are leaving California, and a lot of them are coming to Texas, and. Which is great. I, mean, I think that's a good thing, really. So, and I don't know. Lately, I've been feeling more like a Texan. Because, like, for a long time, I've just been, like, uh, I hate, you know. I've just been, like, resentful. Oh, probably also because, like, I felt I was plucked from my, you know, hometown and just dropped here. So, naturally, when that happens, you just feel some sort of level of resentment. Especially when you're in an area that, like, you're not mixing in well with. I did not mix well within with my community that I was at. Mainly because I'm not the type of person who assimilates if I don't feel that I have to. Right? You know, so there's that. But there are there are people who are pointing out, you know, if you come to Texas, don't forget why you came to Texas. Or, you know, like, they don't want Texas to turn into California, which I don't want either. Like, you know, based on the tax system, their gun laws. The the only aspect of California that I would appreciate is the marijuana legalization. Uh, if we could get that, I would very much like that. And the optimistic side of me, like, does think that that could happen. Like, we're not that far. Not that far. We just got to, you know, convince these conservatives that this isn't, you know, the devil's lettuce i don't know what the, what they call it <laughs> uh it's uh yeah that was my thinking like if joe rogan's gonna come to texas and he's a big pothead but we're in a state that doesn't allow pot like that's like you know i like i am extremely lucky that i have never had any kind of possession charge and like i've had some pretty close calls so I guess I'm just like unassuming, like, you know, I'm just like, yes, sir. Yeah. Like, I'm very sheepish. I'm very, I'm very like, 
you know, I'm a simp. <laughs> I turn into a simp when I talk to a cop. Like, I talk a lot of shit, but, like, it's, like, a lot of it is that they, they like that power aspect. So, I guess it just helps to serve it to them. Like, okay, you want to feel powerful right now? I'll, all right, I'll play ball because I don't want trouble. But, yeah. But my point being with California is that it's going to, you know, it's, again, it's on my collapse radar. It just is. It's it, it's certainly interesting to see from where it was historically being like the gold rush and uh, just, you know, people moving in. L.A. during the golden age of cinema, Hollywood, uh, you know, it was also like a major uh, epicenter for shipbuilding. I mean, it's the largest, most populated state. Not the largest state, but the most populated state in the country. So, like, there's, you know, people move there for a reason. And I also find it pretty funny how, well, I shouldn't say funny, but ironic how, like, the last major surge towards, uh, population surge was the Great Depression in World War Two. you know, because of that economic activity that people were looking for. And it was a result of the Great Depression and people, migrant workers, moving towards California. I'm pretty sure that's the, the plot of The Grapes of Wrath, which I should read. Uh, so that, that's interesting to see that that's one of the, the, the main drivers of California historically. And now California is experiencing, a, or where the United States is going to experience depression, and California is going to have an exodus of people trying to leave, um, look for work. I don't know about migrant workers, because I feel like a lot of the poor class people are going to stay there. You know, Joe Rogan says it best. Like, it's like musical chairs. And you don't want to be there when the music stops. So you really don't. Yeah, I don't know. But that's happening there for California. The great golden state. It's, yeah, it's gilded. Yeah, it's gilded, it appears. So that is what I wanted to talk about domestically. And so we'll wrap up talking about the natural world and its fluxes, right? So, you know, I've talked about the UK politically. The UK is interesting, or at least the islands, right? Because we can talk about it politically and economically. I have never really talked about it uh, ecologically or the ecosystem, right? So, you know, the UK or the islands have been inhabited inhabited for thousands of years like we forget how old europe is it's really old really old especially you know and you know especially the uk it's a really old country or at least the people living there and you know they've been developing and doing all sorts of uh irrigation and farming and just different land works so the ecosystem there has been affected all different sorts of ways it's, a, it's very much an, an artificial ecosystem there's no major predators there the largest animals there are like deer so yeah it's very much like there is yeah there's no there's no real wilderness there because there's like a village on like almost every corner so and it's an island just naturally you know it's very this confined space so you can only imagine what it looked like 2,000 years ago. I mean, 
it's interesting because like the Romans when they reached the islands, they thought this was like the edge of the world. Like this is like whoa, this is uh you know this is the edge of civilization. This is you know we're dealing with savages. You know so of course they brought civilization and then from there the UK turned into or Britain as it was there Britannia grew and they had its own history but through that time they've had their own ecosystem uh and so through years of human activity it's been diminished uh, it's almost like you know almost wiped out at this point like they've recently designated the UK hedgehog as endangered so the iconic hedgehog is like one of their most iconic animals so that's being under threat of extinction because of human activity disappearing ecosystems probably some aspect of climate change the UK is also experiencing like like record levels of heat obviously so you know most of the ecosystem and animals there might not be conditioned to survive that and also another animal that they've highlighted are bison and they've they're starting to reintroduce that into the the wild there and bison in the uk have been extinct extinct for thousands of years or so so it's uh you know they have different programs in place to like reintroduce animals i don't know if they'll introduce like wolves or anything but it's it shows that like there are measures in place to repair the ecosystem bring balance back and again you know things just happen but it's it's it helps certainly that they're on an island so they they can heavily regulate what comes in what creatures animals plant life all that sort of things you know same thing with uh australia like they're super strict like johnny depp got into like a major controversy because he brought an animal a pet a pet that he didn't report or something and like it almost like he, yeah, so it was a pretty serious issue. So, like, they take customs is very serious about animals. So, yeah, even to the point where, like, the UK hasn't had, like, like, rabies doesn't exist on the island, which is good. They've been able to get rid of that, but, you know, it just shows how, like, the, the level of, you know, quarantine that they got. So, that's the UK there. And so, continuing on. Uh, speaking about China, because we bring I bring up China every once in a while, and so what has been shown with China is that well, two things, and they're both a bit unrelated. So I'll talk first about these reports of seeds being sent into the United States, and they don't really know what these seeds are about. I mean, the USDA is telling people to turn them in there. Uh, yeah, but it's just these random packets of seeds that people are getting, and it's being revealed that it's from China. And it's, um, this is like a low-level war, really. And, you know, the fact that they're doing this unsolicited, it is very likely that this is an invasive species that could decimate you know, plant life, the ecosystem, and, like, that's just a new escalation, bro, like, that, I mean, that, it, 
it, it shouldn't be considered an act of war, but it really is an act of war. Like, they're going that far. You know, you're going to go to war overseas, but, like, that shows, like, how they're trying to, like, they want to destroy our, our ecosystem. Like, that, like, that's a different level. Like, that, that's, like, extermination level. Like, they want to terminate us, you know? So, that shows what they're willing to do, you know? Like, they, they just, like that doesn't just happen. It was coordinated. So, something, somebody, some agency was thinking, well, we'll send over seeds and hopefully somebody will plant it and once it grows, it's going to take over. So... Yeah, there's that there. But another thing that occurred, considering the Chinese fishing fleets that, that they got, they have recently reported of a fishing fleet off the coast of the Galapagos Islands. And so, and it's like, they have like these radar dots. And so they'll show, so they have like border regions, right? Because uh, the, Gal the Galapagos Islands belongs to Ecuador. And so, they're, you know, like, you have the, the borders around the islands, and then you have the border with the mainland, and then there's a small sliver that's international waters, and then there's just, like, clusters of ships, and, you know, it's like, they're all jam-packed into this tight area. But, you know, the thing about the sea is that it's the sea. It's the ocean. So, like, there's no borders there. It's just a, a thing on the radar that you see. And so they're just going to decimate the ocean life in that area. And, I mean, I mean, look, man, like, the Chinese have, like, almost zero regulations when it comes to thing, things like this. Like, they just grab whatever and they sail away. And if they don't grab it, they'll just throw it back in without a second thought. So, like... You know, like uh, like uh, a lot of these shipping vessels, they'll capture sharks, cut off the fins, and then throw the rest of the shark back in. It, it's fucking barbaric, bro. And, you know, this is like one of those things where it's just like, okay, it's international waters, but like, this has to be some kind of violation of international law. And this has to be met with some kind of naval response. Which is which certainly like an escalation. That is an escalation. Because the Chinese fishing fleet is just another arm of their navy. It really is. It's not like our fishing fleets were like it's privately owned. Like the government owns everything. So like if you mess with their fishing vessels, next thing you know, you're going to have a carrier group escorting their vessels. Like that's what they're going to do. And so once China begins asserting themselves navally, that's really like are gonna it has to be a wake up call because that's really how nations assert themselves is through naval power. I mean the ocean is like seventy percent of the surface, so like you know that's what the British had, and that's why they conquered the world with their navy. So if the Chinese can beat the u s on a naval game, which is gonna be very hard for them to do, but not impossible, but if that happens, then we got real trouble because. You know, we, we think the Pacific is, you know, oh, it's all it's over there. All right. It's the biggest body of water on the planet. But if we could project our power in 1940s, you know, conquer 
tiny islands nobody could see on the map eventually get to the point where we could invade possibly invade japan don't think for a second that china can't project themselves i mean alaska is not that far away so you know they just need you know something happens and they partner up with russia alaska is going to be a frontline state just saying really i mean it's just that's like literally the plot of fallout but that's like it's the proximity it's like okay create a beachhead in alaska we got our troops already on the continent so anyway not to talk about like that uh but china they got their vessels and they're looting our oceans i mean i don't want to sound xenophobic but like it, this is like they they're greedy and you give them an inch they take a mile and they 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 want world domination like the world is their playground i will say though and i pointed this out before like historically china has been you know everybody else's playground they have been the victim of colonialism and imperialism uh colonial influences you know they've and, and like china so in some ways like they they finally can have that freedom that they can assert themselves so when you have the rest of the world telling them you can't do this they're already in that mindset of fuck you like you did this to me all these years now i actually have some strength and you want to hold me back like no like so that's that's where they're at really i'm making a lot of podcast recommendations but i'll make another one so I was listening to this podcast from Daniele Bolelli, History on Fire, and he covered a three-part series on the Taiping War, or the Taiping Rebellion, which, after World War II, is the bloodiest conflict in human history. And it wasn't a global conflict, it was just all localized in China, which is still a very big region, but then you have millions of people, or now billions, but China has already historically been like one of the more populated regions in the planet. So when they have like a massive uh, conflict, it's it involves millions of people. And in the Taiping Rebellion, like some estimates go to like 100 million. So, which is a lot. I mean, that would make it the most bloody conflict ever, really, in some respects. But, it, you know, it just... So... You, you you read and hear, listen about a conflict like that. And you start to realize that, that like that's going to have very fresh scars still to this day. And that's going to affect the population. And in fact, a lot of that rebellion has been an inspiration for the communist uprisings. So, I, I mean, I don't know exactly how modern Chinese people think about that conflict. But those wounds are still very fresh. Think about it. We're still having tensions over a civil war that happened around the same time. Literally the same time over slavery. So this was over slavery, our war. And the Chinese had their civil war over you know, the heavenly kingdom. So it was mainly like a fundamentalist uprising. But you know, we have our wounds over that. Imagine the trauma and scars from a war that led to possibly a hundred million dead. Like, 
that's going to have an effect on people's culture, on life in general. Like, I don't know. I don't want to make it like, you know, oh, this is what they, this is just a thing that they do. But like, you know, it's going to have an effect and it's going to leave some kind of scar or trauma. And so in that regards, like, it, yeah, again, I'm not a cultural relativist. So like, if there's something wrong culturally, like it's, it should be okay to point it out. Of course, there is the other argument of like, well, how can you make that claim? Cause you're in your cultural position, but it's just like a lot of these cultural things, oh, it's objective, like infanticide is just wrong, foot binding is just wrong, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Anyway, because I have, I do have Asian and Chinese friends, and like they, like you should really listen to them about their criticisms of their own culture, because they have a lot to say. They really do. So, I digress. So that's China, sending seeds over. Um, Fishing fleets in the Galapagos. What? Yeah. That's just happening there. So, yeah, we have that to look forward to. We've also had uh, different natural events occurring. So, be, given that this is hurricane season, we've had some storms. Here in Texas, we had a hurricane, Hurricane Hannah that hit as a category one and it hit south of us or south of me where i'm at and there was genuine worry about another like harvey situation so like a lot of the people here in the houston area were kind of just like Whew, all right we, we missed that one but that was like i was genuinely concerned but even where it hit there was still like su sufficient damage like wind damage storm surge damage like the one of the piers, pleasure piers that they got, it collapsed. This is a Category One storm, which still a lot of damage from that. Now I, I'm just like I keep when I hear Category One, I'm just like oh, okay, well, that's just, you know, I, I've grown up around hurricanes, so like when I hear that, I'm just like all right, that's still pretty serious, but it's more like you know once you got everything in and board up your windows, it's just like a it's like a blizzard day without having to shovel snow, so. You know, you just got to hunker down, hope the power doesn't go out. So, that happened in, in Texas, here. Got some pretty intense rain and flooding there. And also, this is uh, this storm season is projected to be hyperactive, one of the more active ones. And so, they're, they're projecting at least 24 storms, name, name storms, which is crazy. Actually, right now, doing a quick search update, we have two storms in the Atlantic. So we have Josephine, which is a tropical storm, and Kyle, which is also a tropical storm. Now, Josephine is around uh, just off the coast of, you know, the Lesser Antilles, uh, tropical storm. It looks like it's just going to go out into the ocean. Both of these storms look like they're going to just dip off into the ocean but you know even a tropical storm when they hits it, it's now like intense like um uh isaias isa isas i don't know how to say that um 
that storm hit along the east coast and hit New York. And some pretty intense footage came out of there where, like, just trees were knocked down. You know, a tropical storm. And I was actually listening to somebody talk about the trees and the wood. And they were commenting how the wood was all dried up because they've had extreme heat there. So the wood was weak. And so some extreme wind came through and just knocked down branches and trees all over the city. Like, it was crazy. Like... Like, it's just like, <laughs> things, everything's just getting knocked down, man. Like, it's, it was, yeah. So, the storm passed. They've had some wind damage from that, but that's the most that they had from there. And then also, uh, we had, from these storms, storm surges, right? Basically, the, the ocean is just rising on the coastline, the, tide, the tidal effects of that. And... It's going to be interesting as sea level rise becomes more significant. I mean, without a doubt, sea level rise had a role with the damage that occurred. Again, you know, category one, that's like a wind speed thing. But when you have the ocean and all that mass movement and it's, you know, you have the force of those waves and it hits, it's relentless. It just doesn't stop it's going to cause some damage, right? So, that, that of course, happened there. And we're just going to have to see more and more as these storms evolve, because I feel like the, the hurricane seasons are going to prolong. Uh, we could easily see stuff going on into October, maybe. Maybe at the, you know, not not towards the end of it, but like, you know, because they're, they're projecting extreme heat even through September, August and September. So, very easily there, there could be a storm in October. So, we'll have to see, of course. We'll have to see. It's just like, the, the fall is just becoming an extension of summer. So, it's like only like slightly cooler, but still pretty hot. Um, but yeah, every time I think like, man... Today was hot, and then I, I keep getting proven wrong. Like, actually, right now, let me look at the temperature from outside. So, we have 97 with a humidity of 39, so it feels like 106. And the, the temperature is only going to keep rising. Like, I, like, I'm at the point where, like, I can't do deliveries out in the middle of the day. Like, I have to do it at night now because the heat's just too much. It's too much. So, that's happening. That's just something to adapt to. It's just strange having to sit inside and, like, you know, it, it feels, like, fine here. The air conditioning is wonderful. But then you step outside, two minutes, oh, I forgot something in the car, go out, in and out, and you're just like, oh. Oh, you just, yeah. So, there's that. So, also speaking on winds, extreme winds that we're getting. Um, recently, something went down in the Midwest. And it's a phenomenon known as a derecho. Or derecho. And so, it 
I mean, this is something that's still new to me. The Midwest has all these different weather uh, events that occur. So this was a bit of a, a bit of a surprise. So I'm reading this from USA Today. Quote, Iowans continue to deal with the aftermath of the ferocious derecho storm that roared across the Midwest on Monday. The storm with straight line winds that reached nearly 100 miles per hour in parts of Iowa swept across Nebraska, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, before losing steam. There have been three confirmed deaths related to the storm in Iowa. One other person was killed in Indiana. As of midday Friday, some 14 or 140 customers remained without power in Iowa, according to PowerOutage.us. Another 60,000 were without power in Illinois. Iowa will submit its application for a federal disaster declaration on Monday, and Iowans should have power fully restored by Tuesday, Governor Kim Reynolds said Friday. End quote. So, yeah, this storm kind of just came, you know, just, it, it's like almost hurricane-level winds, like that, or, I mean, that's what they're saying, 100 miles per hour, that is hurricane-level. But it just, like, swept across the state causing damage, knocking down trees. I need to do more research on this because like that, I've never heard of anything like this happening before. And like the damage is intense. I mean, as you heard, you know, there's a uh, power outages and such, but like I was watching like one of these uh, grain silos that they got. I mean, cause it's, you know, Iowa and all these different states. So there's large agricultural centers, but like this, the silos are like knocked over and like bent and just like collapsed it's like whoa and like this was just this is just wind really strong wind and then as you see uh people are without power and this is just this is just going to be a common thread power outages like we had people lose power because of these storms new york city had an outage not too long ago uh, for like less than an hour but like it that's all it takes that's all it takes for some chaos to to break out really i'm trying to think other places without power in california actually they're having to institute rolling blackouts also so like there's going to be a point where the power is just not going to come back no matter what people try to do and what what do you what do you what do we do? Because that's the whole that's the only thing that's keeping us together is the power. The power goes out. A lot of these people don't know what it's like to live a medieval lifestyle. I mean, I don't either. But it's just like this neo neo feudal lifestyle, no electricity. It, people just won't know what to do. So it's gonna be it, it's really gonna be interesting. I keep saying that word, but that's the only way to frame it. But yeah, these winds came through, knocking down trees, causing damage, knocking out power. And it's a common thread of our collapsing infrastructure met with extreme climate change and our inability to have the resources to address it and to fix it. So slowly over time, more and more, it's going to deteriorate and collapse. So soon enough, we're going to have, I mean, as we saw in Michigan, there are dams collapsed there, but more of that's going to happen. 
our bridges are also going to collapse, our freeways, uh, our power infrastructure, power lines. I mean, it's just like things are slowly going to fall apart because we don't, we, we weren't, either we don't have it available to us or we're just not dedicating it in general. And on top of accelerating climate change, that's only going to ex accelerate the collapse. It's just like, what did you expect? What did you expect? Anyway, that's Derecho and the the winds there. Pretty intense winds. I'm pretty, um, yeah, I didn't know that, that that was a thing really. And uh, talking about all these different issues, I feel like just a lot is unfolding. I mean, everything really is just going down. And I wanted to talk about just certain things. Of course, there's a lot that I still missed, and that's just the nature of it. You know, I'm going to miss some things, and, you know, I wish I was in a position to be more consistent. I do have a life outside of this, so it's just a matter of juggling it. And also, the class is coming up, so that's something to look forward to. But all in all, I mean, everything else is just coming and going and passing, and it's just... Uh, a thing to deal with, a thing just to get past and hopefully maintain those uh, relationships that I've got. Of course, a lot of people are, I think, waking up to it because I'm pretty doom and gloom. And of course, on this show, like, I'm like, I'm, I don't hold back on any of it. But then in my personal life, when I talk with, to folks about it and when they are starting to get into the position, when they start getting blackpilled, because I'm certainly black pill, but when they start getting it, ah, it, it kind of breaks my heart. Because now I'm like, no, please, you're my only vessel of hope. <laughs> I'm already hopeless. Don't be, don't be me. I'm just, I don't know. Because I know I'm doom and gloom, but then like when I'm actually in person and people start talking about it, I actually really try to steer clear from that conversation. Because there's like a level of sadness. There really is. Especially for us, because, like, you know, we inherited it. We inherited all of this, and we're still not in the position where we can fix it. And, in fact, we might be, part, you know, accelerating it. You know, we might be doing, causing, we might be causing more damage. You know, that that's the, that's the terrible assumption. You know, I might, you know, I might have felt that I've done the right thing, but... You know, I'm not a part of that cancel culture movement, really. Like, I don't try to cancel people, but I certainly feel complicit in that mob mentality and in encouraging it. And that's something that I've had to grapple with recently because I'm not a mob mentality person. Like, I don't like that whatsoever. You know, I'm, I'm an individual. I, I mean, just because some people are doing a thing doesn't mean I have to do it. So it, it, these are one of those moments where, like, well, everybody agrees that this is a good thing when it could possibly not be one, like rioting and looting. Not to say that the protesters aren't looters, but there are people on the left defending it. My, I'm not defending it. I'm just pointing out that this is what happens. That's all. That's all. So, but then, of course, people have different perceptions of me. So, and it's not even people, like, online. Like, I'm not at a position where, like, people can just call me out online. I very much like this anonymity, this this stage of like, 
where nobody knows me. Of course, I would like more recognition, but I'd like this stage where nobody knows about me or kind of nobody really cares either, but, you know, it, it, it helps. It helps to be in this level and say what I can say. But it's also nice to have some following or some people listening, but we just have to see from there. However, everything else is, uh, everything else to come to pass and we just gotta adapt and hope to make things right, correct them. And also on this podcast, I have made some history podcast recommendations. I said Dan Carlin's hardcore history. I said... Daniele Bovelli's History on Fire. And there's another one that I would also talk about uh, called History Impossible. So it's another history podcast that's been pretty good to listen to. Very pretty. Uh, and, you know, just talking about different historical stories and individuals that I've never really uh, heard about. You know, so, I mean, there's just more things to learn about. I mean, these are all podcasts that are far more talented and there's more substance than I could produce at the moment. So it's certainly something that I listen to where I'm like, damn, I got to get on this level. But, you know, this is just more time and dedication towards it. So those are my recommendations, I would say, for history podcast, kill some time. Uh, so with that being said, definitely follow my Twitter, Collapse Talk Pod, at Collapse Talk Pod. Uh, my Patreon, Collapse Talk, and my Outlook, or my email, CollapseTalkPod at Outlook.com. So, thank you for tuning in. Hope you all are staying safe and, you know, watching out for yourselves and just staying out of trouble. And thank you for tuning in.
claim No matter what you say, it don't take away the pain that I 